Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common. Go head-to-head to see which one does it better on this R-rated episode. In the red corner... Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me, but only for 48 hours while my wife's out of town. That's what Michael Douglas thought he was going to get, having splashy sex on a sink and then see ya. But Glenn Close had other ideas, originally set to be called Affairs of the Heart. We know it as 1987's Fatal Attraction. A look that led to an evening. You're attracted to each other at the party, that was obvious. You're on your own for the night, that's also obvious. A mistake he'd regret all his life. And where's your wife? Daddy! And you're here with a strange girl being a naughty boy. I don't think having dinner with anybody's a crime. I've got to see you. This is gonna stop. No, it's not gonna stop, it's gonna go on and on. While in the blue corner, it's that movie. That movie you heard whispers about on the wind in the schoolyard. She does what? No. How do we get to see it? If Alfred Hitchcock was still making movies in the 90s, would he have made this? Paul Verhoeven really thinks so, as our old friend Michael Douglas is at it again, this time in the company of Sharon Stone. Originally set to be called Love Hurts, brilliant, we know it as 1992's Basic Instinct. So we got 31 stab wounds. What was it? Ice pick. I'd like to speak to Miss Catherine Tremell, please. Is she a suspect? She's a writer. She published a novel. It's about a retired rock and roll star who gets murdered by his girlfriend. You know how she does the boyfriend with an ice pick. She intended the book to be her alibi. You didn't feel anything for him. You just had sex with him for your book. In the beginning, he gave me a lot of pleasure. You like playing games? Games are fun. What's your new book about? A detective. He falls for the wrong woman. What happens? She kills him. So what connects these two movies and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Potters. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. And I'm Chris Tilly. So I picked these movies this week. Fatal Attraction versus Basic Instinct. Um, before we get to the connections, hey... Have you enjoyed the last seven days with these films, guys? 
Well, at least there's no chance of watching it with parents since we're all in lockdown <laughs> and I presume isolated. We're with exactly the right people to be watching these films with, I imagine. And did, did your children enjoy it? <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what Mark just said to me. He's like, just bear in mind before you record this episode that anything you say, they might listen to one day. I was like, they ain't going to listen to this, but point taken. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chris, you have fun with these? Yeah, yeah, I watched them both alone, uh, which is important. And um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it brought back memories of watching them on video as a youngster. Because obviously these are films that none of us can have seen in the cinema first time round because we are too young for both films. So these are definite um, video video movies. Oh, yes, they are. So uh, have we got some suggestions for what connects these two grand fables of cinema? I've got a very specific one, which it just just is. Uh, are you ready? Um, hmm. Michael Douglas cheats on someone called Beth with a woman in white from the literary world who loves smoking. Oh, that's good. Hmm. Is the is the psychologist his psychologist in the cop psychologist? Is she called Beth? Is she called Beth? Wait, wait. I was really certain. Wait. I think she is. Wait, wait. Right. I'm just checking. Right. I'm just checking. Oh, this is boy. Yeah, she's called Beth. Yes. Oh, that is... <laughs> I'm very impressed. I think that's going to be better than any other connection. But Chris, step in. Um, this is actually nicking this from someone who tweeted it to us. But is it Bunny... I saw this. Yeah, is it... I'm just going to make it more simple. Is it Bunny versus Beaver? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Is it films written by men that get to the heart of what makes women tick? <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let Vicky take that one later in the podcast. Uh, I learned so much about women from these films. <laughs> well, c- because we would have watched these at very formative times in our lives, Alex. Like this, yeah. This made the world seem like a very frightening place. <laughs> I bet it did. (laughs) I still look under the bed before I have sex every night. (laughs) What, hopefully? (laughs) Wait, wait. (laughs) (laughs) That made it sound like I have sex every night as well. Yeah, you're missing missing the Oxford comma. (laughs) Is Is it the female of the species is more deadly than the male? Oh, come on. That's good. I think you've both outdone mine. Uh, Mine was uh, very specific. Uh, films that in some way are responsible for me seeing Bruce Willis's penis. Well, the explanation being, not in real life, we wouldn't have had Colour of Night if we hadn't had these movies. They were a launch pad for a lot of erotic cinema. And on my French residential with school in 1994, we all were taken to the cinema and they were like, what do you want to see? And we all said Pulp Fiction, which was just out in the cinema. And the teachers would not let us go and see that because there was violence in it. And they were like, absolutely not. We're going to go see this Bruce Willis movie, Colour of Night. So the French staff from my school took us to see Bruce Willis's penis in an erotic thriller. <laughs> but you also got to see The Sinner from Pinner. Was that, did that make up for it? Oh, Jane March, yeah. I've, I've, I've did a lot of reading about Jane March after this. Apparently she was... Um, This is getting off track very quickly, but apparently she was offered a lot of big roles after that. But her husband was the producer of Colour of Night. And he said, you can only do these films if they hire me as a producer. And they went, well, obviously not. And so she didn't get to do a lot of big roles. 
Ah, oh, lovely men. Men are lovely. <laughs> As these movies prove. And uh, no, the real one, the real connection was sex, lies, and video cassettes hidden under your bed. Whatever <laughs> happened to the erotic thriller? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, I'll tell you what happened to the erotic thriller. I, I really want to write. I've been pitching a feature about this recently. Uh, internet porn and yep. um, sex coming to uh, streaming services and HBO. So more gratuitous yeah. uh, sexual TV shows. So it just there was no need to go to the cinema to see boobs anymore. <laughs> Paul um, Paul Verhoeven um, would add to that uh, the rise of the Republicans in America and um, and how Christian values dictate mm. that this kind of cinema can't exist anymore. Well, that's good. I'll add that to that article if anyone pays me to write it. <laughs> <laughs> not, not that I'm pitching live on air, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, right, let's get into these there. We do them chronologically. Uh, remind me, who had what? Uh, I've got Fatal Attraction. Great then, Chris. You're starting us off. Go for it. Fatal Attraction. Fatal Attraction is a terrifying thriller where the villain isn't a man, nor is it a woman. Rather, the villain of the piece is Dan Gallagher's piece, a penis that our protagonist is powerless to control. Dan is just trying to put up his umbrella. It's his Johnson that asked Alex Forrest out for a drink. Dan just wants dinner. It is Schlong that has sex with Alex in a sink. Dan just wants to go home to his wife and child. It is Pecker that insists on spitting in a lift. There are no mad, there are no Aww. bad men or women in Fatal Attraction. Just a mean, malignant, malevolent member. Oh, don't say spitting in a lift. Please, ever again, ever again. I spent, I spent ages trying to come up with something that would upset you there, Vicky, and I'm so happy. <laughs> Success. <laughs> Oh, God. I nearly said blowing chunks, but then I thought that would make you... <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Anyway, yeah, I, I guess my point was that I feel like this film like makes out that it's his dick rather than him that's at fault here and that he doesn't really take much responsibility. But we can get, <laughs> we can get into that. Um, is there a movie about... Is there a movie about a sentient penis that is... There must be. You remember that movie Idle Hands where the guy's hands become evil and make him kill people? There's surely an equivalent about a cock. There was definitely a porno. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, and I think there was one in the 70s, like one of those soft poor confessions ones, and I think there's been a more hardcore one since. Not that I'm an expert. <laughs> it sounds like it. The only one I have that is similar was Edward Penis Hands, which was a <laughs> pornographic movie based on Edward Scissorhands, but he had penises for hands, which uh, is very it, sexy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I mean, like, it wasn't just pornography. There was an entire scene where um, they sat round a dinner table, and Edward Penis Hands had to eat spaghetti bolognese with his penis hands, and they all laughed at him. Um, when are we doing that against the real Edward Hands? <laughs> it's a real film. Uh, good. She keeps calling the apartment. Hello. Every time Beth answers the phone, she hangs up. I'm scared, Jimmy. You play fair with me? Do you have an affair with her? I'll play fair with you. I don't want to lose my family. Why could you do that? Are you scared of me, are you? You're afraid. Gutless, heartless, spineless. If you ever come near my family again, I'll kill you. You understand? Daddy! I'm not going to be ignored. Alicia, where's Ellen? She's gone. Call the police. Whatever resentment she's feeling, she's probably got it out of her system. She didn't get it out of her system. What then? I guess you thought you'd get away with it. Well, you can't. 
So first things first, have I learned something this week that was super exciting to me in terms of someone that thought they knew about Fate of Attraction. Have you read about, have you watched, do you know about the film Diversion from 1980? No. I read about it in preparation for this, but no, tell us. Yeah, so it's uh, the screenwriter James Dearden is, is an English guy who wrote Fate of Attraction. And in the late 70s, he wrote a 40-minute film called Diversion um, for the BBC and it starred Cherry Lungi, who people will know from Excalibur. And I think she was the Nescafe woman as well. Yeah, um, And a guy called Stephen Moore. And it is exactly the same as Fatal Attraction, uh, it, to the point that a, a guy in the studio saw it before it was broadcast and got in touch with James Dearden and said, I want you to do the Hollywood version of this. But it's exactly the same. The, same, the characters are similar. The situations are the same. The conversations are the same. Um like scenes are identical so there's another version of fatal attraction out there and i believe that the studio tried to get all copies of it destroyed but there's a version of it on youtube if anyone is interested in it um oh so it it was actually made then i i I read that it was a a bbc 40 minute drama was what it was i don't and it actually aired did it i'm not sure if it aired i read two different uh versions of the story but either way it's on youtube now if you want to watch it because i did i mean there's two major differences one is that there's absolutely no chemistry between these two actors unlike (laughs) the attraction you never buy for a second that that you know they're having fun uh together uh but also it just ends about halfway through the fatal attraction movie it ends with um the the adulterous woman uh phoning the house that he lives in over and over again until he can't make any more excuses and finally the wife looks at him sort of guessing that something's up and she goes and picks up the phone and that's where it ends with the the idea being that um the other woman is going to tell her what's happened and the game's up for him and so fatal attraction sort of gets to that point about halfway through but then obviously takes it a lot further yeah, I'm, I should admit at this stage, uh, before we go any further, this um, was my first viewing of Fatal Attraction. I picked it because it was, as I'm doing a lot in the moment in isolation, I'm trying to fill the gaps that have somehow been existing in my library of cinema for years and years. I've never had time to before, and Fatal Attraction was one of them. So this experience was very new to me watching this movie. I knew about Bunny Boiler, and I knew what the story was, and I knew it was what it was, but I actually never watched it. So what was it like as a first watch in, in, in 2020 rather than sort of late 80s? And knowing everything I already knew. So like key scenes like the bunny boiler scene with the cooked bunny, were I was prepared for them so they weren't shocking. It was fantastic. I loved this movie. It had a real visceral effect on me, unlike... Uh, a lot of modern cinema. Uh, you know, you search these films that still have an effect on you and you don't think they're going to come from 1987 because you missed your window with it. This one stands up today. Vicky, was this a first watch for you or had you seen it back in the day? No, I've exactly the same as Alex. I thought I'd seen it, but I haven't. <gasps> I've just seen like composite bits of it and I put it on and then the minute they were in their apartment, I was like, I, I haven't seen it. Like, I just, I didn't remember so much of it realized I hadn't seen it and then after about 10 minutes I was like this it's a proper film <laughs> which is a stupid thing to say but <laughs> it's not in the way that maybe basic instinct is not quite <laughs> a proper film this is <laughs> it's really well directed it's brilliantly directed um obviously all the performances are, are fantastic the script is really good and I would I think I was surprised because I've seen it parodied so much and I thought I'd seen it and sort of just dismissed it as um hysterical but i was really really shocked i thought i thought it was brilliant as well yeah i 
thought I'd seen it again, like Vicky, but I had actually seen another movie which I'd mistaken this for because... I mean, I realized that it wasn't this movie soon enough, but there's a movie that came out the same year which uses the same font on the poster, which is called Fatal Beauty, which is a, a, a action comedy with Whoopi Goldberg. So I've seen that film, uh, but that's not this film, but they did use the same font on the poster, so that's my excuse. <laughs> well, well, we'll get into the script because I've got lots of interesting quotes from the screenwriter, as I said, James Dearden, some which I feel like he's digging himself a hole, uh, things that he said about the script and the characters at the time and then more recently. But um, let's get on to the film because the plot is pretty simple, really. I mean, Michael Douglas plays this seemingly happy family man. We, we get blissful shots of his uh, family all playing together before his wife and child uh, go away for the weekend. Um, where and he uh, bumps into a girl he'd met at a party, Alex Forrest, played by Glenn Close. And um, there seems to be a connection between them. Um, as I said, he has an issue with his umbrella. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, asked- let's let's establish, I just want to say, I know I said this movie hadn't dated, but we do know it's the 80s very quickly from the fashion and the hair and the casual racism about the culture of Japan. That's, oh, that's yeah. just set up front very early on. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, the, the, the book that's launching is called Samurai Self-Help. Uh, an exercise, an exercise manual based on the ancient samurai discipline. Would you read that? No. Okay. Yeah, I'd, I'd give it a go. I don't, I don't, I don't read self help books. Don't need them. Don't need them. <laughs> um, and Alex Forrest is a uh, book editor, although she doesn't actually seem to do any work for most of this movie. <laughs> she has a lot of spare time on her hands. Uh, but there's this connection between them. They uh, he asks her out for a drink. Uh, they go for dinner. And then uh, the sparks start to fly over dinner, uh, most notably when she asked him if he's discreet. Yeah, problem one. This is a big thing. She says, I am discreet. She says that. She clearly goes, look, I am, I'm discreet. This will be no strings attached sex. She says that with there's no doubt, which is a lie. <laughs> does she say it's no strings attached i don't think she does she but that's says, what discreet means no it's not <laughs> it means it's not um it just means she wants i mean to- i know the definition of discreet isn't no strings attached <laughs> it just that's what's good about the script is uh, the dialogue particularly because the things that she says you can see her point of view even though she's quite quickly or maybe too quickly clearly a bit fucking bonkers but when she says, can you be discreet? That could be taken to mean what she thinks it means, which is we could have an affair and we just won't tell anyone, which is what she says to him later on. She says, if you play fair with me, I'll play fair with you. So she, it's not necessarily, I think she, it's implied heavily that it's for one night only, but in her mind, she's made the case that that, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. I think if someone said, listen, um, I can be discreet, and then you walked into your living room and they were having a chat with your partner, I'd be like, what What part of discreet did you not understand? Have we got different definitions of discreet? That's that's my wife, and you're not my wife, but we did have sex, so what, what, what was happening here yeah. exactly? But well, you're going to the argument. But I, here's my question for you. So we're about, you know, they have sex. We'll get to that in a second, that sex scene. But with this scene in the restaurant... And for the whole film, really, do you think 
he has done this before? And do you think she has done this before? Like had sex with a married man and has he had sex outside of his marriage? Because I was really thinking about that this time and I could not make up my mind. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I think she's I done think it before. He, I think he's done it before. I think he yeah. found it way too easy. I think he had all the lines. I think he had all the answers. Yeah. But then isn't what it more interesting if he's before? never done it before and it was still really easy? Like that, he's nine years into his marriage and it was... It, it took him five minutes to decide to do that because he really, I viewed it as he really thought he could have like a lost weekend and it would never, ever come back. He'd never think of it again. It would never come back to haunt him. And who could resist if it was completely consequenceless, who could resist it? Even if you'd never done it before and you'd never do it again necessarily. And I'm, I'm really glad the film doesn't give him a reason to do it either. There's no suggestion of his wife being a nag or difficult or him not getting on with his kid I mean, the well, only thing they yeah, they kind of suggest thing. is that there's a moment where the kids, uh, when he thinks he's going to have sex with his wife and then the kid climbs in bed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so he can't. And then the other thing I think that maybe is in the background is that I feel like she's the one that's pushing for them to move the, to the country and he likes yeah. it in the city. But, I mean, those are, those seem like quite realistic and not particularly huge problems that a couple would have. And it's not like they've given him a really awful wife so you can sort of see his point of view. Yeah, I'm with Vicky. I I think it the whole thing works a lot better if he hasn't done it before because I think it works with his like you say his naivety, his t- total like belief that ah cool this wow this <laughs> Glenn Close seems totally up for just 48 hours of bonking so great and then I'll be back with my wife by Monday when does she get back awesome whereas <laughs> I do think she has. She's done it before, but I think she's done it before because I think she's not a well person and has serious daddy issues. And that's this is part of, you know, the way she is as a result of whatever happened with her father, question mark. Um, Shall we talk about the sex? Yeah, I didn't know that they had sex over what is actually dirty dishes and it made me me feel sick. Like, I understand the water, that's great, whatever. But uh, if there's a dish in water, some of the food is going to be like quite bloated because it'll be like old food. And at some point, what she's putting in his mouth and like on her own boob is like bean water or something. And I just, (laughs) I I couldn't get that out of my head. And it, it really, it was a mood killer for me. <laughs> I agree. I mean, you don't you don't want bloated bread. Like, imagine you know, like unless you're a duck, unless you're having sex with a duck, and you don't want that bread that's been floating on a pond for a while thrust into your gum line. <laughs> no, you don't. No. Oh, you got you got a bit of bolognese sauce stuck to your ass, love. <laughs> it's it's troubling for me, as you know. I have a real problem with fingers um, entering mouths in general. So you know, clean, dirty. I, you know, I, I, I think often there is a dry dirt on a finger that once it gets wet is loosened by the water and thus much easier to transfer onto the tongue of a partner. So I would very much be opposed to fingers entering mouths. And, you know, I find that bit even more repulsive than uh, Michael Douglas waddling across a room with his trousers around his ankles. Oh, I thought that was cute. <laughs> no. I mean, this is what I like about Michael Douglas, though. He's not afraid to sort of look like an idiot or look silly or look like the weak one in the relationship. And I think that's a really good example. I think a lot of movie stars would have said no to that. I don't want to look like a penguin waddling along. Uh (laughs) I'm trying to get to you. That's why it's a good sex scene, because obviously sex is a little bit ridiculous (laughs) 
<laughs> like quite a lot of the time. Like if you think about the acrobatics that can be involved, and so no one can walk across the room holding someone like on his penis effectively, not in the real world. And so that's how it would go. And so the fact that they can do it and then laugh about it, you could see why she thinks they've got more of a connection because he is, yeah, like you say, he's not afraid to look silly in a very intimate moment. Sorry, Vicky, did, also- you, did you just say you do acrobatics? <laughs> Acrobatic sex. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how you're spending your lockdown, but I know what's going on here, and I'm not bored. Have you got oh, your you didn't, you didn't go to Vicky's um, birthday party last year, did you, Chris? You couldn't make not. it. I, no. I, you want to see her bedroom. It's like Christian Grey's red room. It's insane. <laughs> Um, we we, oh, no. we got and we've pretty soon after the sink sex we've got uh the elevator sex um uh, that i found we, that more upsetting for some reason i don't know why i think because she just sort of <laughs> flings us she's like have you ever had sex in a lift and he's like uh no and she's like bang <laughs> she just sort of throws herself at him and was the, it what was it full sex i thought it was just a blowjob in yeah, a lift just, i like blowjob yeah Blow job in a lift. Tra la 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 la. <laughs> I thought I thought Blow it was job it... <laughs> in a lift. Tra la 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 la. <laughs> the way Adrian thought... Lyne shot it, I thought it looked like a perfume ad that ends with fellatio. Yeah, it's bonkers. It? There's like there's, there's steam everywhere for some reason, or smoke or something. <laughs> Have you, uh, do you like my new fragrance? Uh, well, I kissed your neck and it's really salty. Yeah. <laughs> now, Alex, I have an important question for you. So they have sex in the sink. They have sex in an elevator. And then yeah. he takes her out in the park with his dog. Is that the biggest <laughs> portrayal of all here? <laughs> and by this point, I was... So concerned about that dog because he's a. I'm a dog owner, and he leaves yeah, that you dog mention it every overnight. Week, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mention it. I, I've got, I've got a dog. <laughs> uh, it's a beautiful dog, Whippet. Uh, his name's Simon. Uh, he's uh, he's a very nice dog. Uh, but yeah, if I if I was to introduce Simon to uh, someone I'd had an affair with, uh, I wouldn't. I'd have to then kill the dog no. because I couldn't ever. I couldn't look at it. Like, if every time it looked at me, I'd be like, it knows. And I don't trust it enough not mm. to then be leaving notes for my partner yeah. uh, sort of going, oh, you know, blackmail. Dogs are one of the things that I read. Um, I was reading um, a book by Caesar, uh, the dog trainer, uh, and he says dogs, uh, one of the basic things a dog understands is blackmail. Yeah, they're notorious so. for it, yeah. Mm. Okay. Um so we've got a bit more sex when he should be going back to his family. He goes for a third round. Um, <laughs> and this is when things start taking a bit of a turn because he um, wants to just go home. She wants him to stick around. He wants to bugger off back to his family. Um, she rips his shirt. She says to him, you thought you would have a good time. You didn't stop for a second to think about me, which is hmm. fair enough. Um, she says, if you told me is to fuck it? off. <laughs> You've got to try I mean, and think it, see it from her point of view, Alex. You've even got the same is, name I, as her. Couldn't you see it? <laughs> Can you feel it? This is this is my thing. I kind of feel that he, like, and her. So I, I, it seemed to me that she'd sort of gone, hey, you know, a couple of days, she wipes away. Let's uh, let's have a bit of fun. But and he'd sort of. I don't think it's out. It, it's it, it's such a stretch to see that he'd imagined 
Like it was just two days of sex and then he was going to get on with his life. I think you can, you can see that his point of view and it's like for her to go, no, you're sticking around with me. And also he's got some work to do, by the way. So it's not just, not just he has to go home to see his wife. He's got some work to do. And she's like, no, just hang out. I, 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 Am I wrong? No, I agree with you. I felt really sorry for him because that's not what he thought he was signing up for. And yet the things that she says, you can see her point of view as well. So she has already said to him, he's like, I'm happily married. And she's like, well, what are you doing here then? And it's it's meant to be coy and it's meant to be like flirted, but she has got a, quite a good point. Um, and then the brilliant line where she says, I'd have more respect for you if you tell me to fuck off. So he says, well, fuck off then. Which <laughs> is really good. If I was him, and I know she sort of flies at him and she's like cut her arms and obviously that's a nightmare, but I still would have left because you don't want to be like adding fuel to that fire of like, oh, we care about each other. I've been quite clear that I don't. I've still got to go. And for him to say, what difference does it make when I leave? It's like, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> like, What difference does it make? Uh, that that kitchen scene uh, is exactly from Diversion. It plays out exactly the same way where she sort of plays a bit coy. She apologises. They start kissing and she's kind of crying a bit and the, he notices that her hands are wet and then you realise it's blood from the slit wrist. I mean, for me, I find that the most disturbing moment in the film. Yeah. Um, I know obviously the rabbit one has become the more famous, but I found that really, really upsetting. Um I guess it's because it that's... gives you a sense of, of how sick this woman actually is. It's not yeah. just a woman who feels a bit wrong, but it's someone who's got serious mental problems. And what do you do in that moment as as Dan Gallagher? I mean, he helps her. Mm, I, for me, for me, it's, um, yeah, I, it's that thing, isn't it? Like the minute she actually does that to her wrist, she's crossed the line from uh, into into a, a a person that isn't very well. And I think only a, a select few people uh, who watch this will have experienced like being in a situation with someone like that. If we rewind to just before the scene you're talking about where he wants to leave and she rips his shirt, I think that is so relatable to like a lot of people. It's the way that she uses or attempts to use every weapon in her arsenal to try and make him stay. She go, it's a fantastic moment for Glenn Close. She goes from angry to cute to sad and like flips between them, just like seeing what emotion might actually trigger him to stay. And when all of those fail, she mm. cuts her wrists. Yeah. And I think that first part, you're going, I've, I've seen people do that. Yeah. I can relate to that. And it's interesting in the original, that TV version and in the original script, you were supposed to have more sympathy for Alex and less sympathy for Dan. Um, uh, James did and said, um, I initially conceived Alex as essentially a tragic, lonely figure worthy of our sympathy. Um, yes, she does go a bit far, but I think we can all recognise how close to obsessive behaviour we can be driven by love or the illusion of love. And then he said it was the process of development hell that sort of ground him down with the, the Paramount studio saying, how can we root for this guy? Uh, the leading man has to be heroic. Um, and they felt that there were too many shades of grey to Dan Gallagher. And so he said, uh, gradually, remorselessly, Dan is made more and more blameless while Alex turns inevitably more and more into the villain of the piece. The changes yeah. are subtle, almost imperceptible, but they accumulate so that she has become, without us fully realising, this predatory and eventually deranged character. Mm -hmm. um, so he was trying to make 
it a bit more, as as he says, shades of grey. And they did a play. He he was able to rewrite it for a play in 2014 that played in the West End. And he, he did that more... Um, more sympathetic version of the Alex character in that play, although uh, it wasn't a hit, unlike this movie, which was obviously a smash. So <laughs> It's weird because Brian De Palma was offered this. John Carpenter was offered it first, and then Brian De Palma was offered it, and he said yes initially, and then he pulled out because he said he couldn't make Douglas seem sympathetic. So his feeling was that there's no way that Douglas can look like the one you root for in this. So he saw it from the opposite direction. Mm. Yeah, and um, but also they said that the ending under De Palma, uh, it, it was basically she was wearing a mask and it took place on Halloween and she was running around killing people with a knife. So it would have been a very, <laughs> it would have been a very uh, different. I mean, it, it gets close to that, but uh, yeah. it, it would have been a very different film. Uh, but back to the film, then um, sort of for the next half hour or so, it just sort of builds and builds. She starts making threats. Uh, she starts making demands. She comes to his office. Uh, she comes to his home, um, which yeah, I think the bit I love. When she that. comes to his his office, I love what she's wearing. It's where eighties fashion goes full freaking eighties. She looks like an extra from the Fifth Element. That massive <laughs> black, like like she's like a walking shoulder pad. It's yeah. incredible. I think and I was what... a bit hyper, like sexed up. So I was like, she's gonna have nothing on. I was like, oh shit, she's wearing clothes. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah, and yeah, she. There's the between that and the opening party scene. There are times when like you struggle to take her seriously because of what she's wearing. She genuinely looks like she's in Masters of the Universe. <laughs> how, how did you feel about her hair, Vicky? I loved her hair. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you ask? <laughs> well, because it's big and uh, it was a character choice for her. She wanted to let it as look as wild as it could be because she oh, thought really? that suited the character. Yeah. And yeah. she said that, that women she knew and were friends with were literally going to the hairdresser and asking for an Alex Forrest. So yeah, she's quite great. funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that scene in the house, what I really like about that is that... Um, Every time we see Alex, it suddenly come, cuts to Michael Douglas's point of view and we get kind of a shaky cam, which is yeah. really effective. It just keeps cutting to that. So you see how wrong footed he is. He's suddenly like she's on his territory and he does not know how to deal with it. And I just thought that was brilliant um, camera work from the director. Yeah. Although, why isn't there an estate agent there? Mm, good point. Yeah, true. Good. Well done. That's a massive plot hole. I don't enjoy <laughs> this movie anymore. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I do think they, they, there's a point where she's uh, she keeps ringing uh, and you see a shot of Alex sitting on her bed. And you're like, why do you need, like, Michael Douglas? You've got it made. She's sitting there with Oreos, crisps, mm. white wine, Haagen-Dazs, yeah. all around. I'm like, girl, was, you know how to live. I was so jealous. I was like, of course you're <laughs> sat. You just live on your bed. I would live on my bed if I was surrounded by that food. It's and you of- think if you get together with Michael Douglas, he ain't going to make a snide remark about you being surrounded by all that stuff. Of course he is. You'll, you won't be able to live like that anymore. I don't want to talk about Madame fucking Butterfly. <laughs> just, <laughs> I just want to have some strawberry cheesecake ice cream and prank call people. Is that too much to add? <laughs> but again, it's really yeah, clever. <laughs> I think that the telephone becomes a real source of tension in the film as well at this point. Which, again, is really clever because you don't look at a telephone and, and be frightened. Yeah, but, but the bit where it, she rings, like they're having the dinner party and she rings and the wife goes, hello? And Alex doesn't say anything. She goes, hello? And Alex doesn't say anything. And she goes, 
hello and you're like you do one hello maybe two at best before you go there's no one there you don't keep going hello 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 there's too many hellos it really annoyed me uh, I thought a great moment comes up here as well when Alex follows Dan home and she's looking at the family through the window and it makes her physically sick. That was so uh, weird. It's really disturbing. Weird. Why? Why yeah. is she? Why is she vomiting there? It's do you want to know? Oh, yes. oh she, go on, Vicky. Well, it's, she's pregnant, so it could be that. But she's a boring answer, but true. Um, she's so shocked by how easily he slips into like perfect domesticity that it makes her throw up, or she's so appalled by it but i don't i can't think of anything else well yeah. glenn close um says that she's played alex um as a character who possibly and this explains a lot about the father stuff and the sort of weird bit where she goes my dad died of a heart attack in the park earlier which we didn't mention which is kind of odd where he michael douglas pretends to have a heart attack mm. and she gets she switches from playful to like what the hell are you doing and I watched an interview with her. Actually, it was an address she gave at the Oxford Union. And she said that a lot of the um, issues that Alex has and uh, the the problems, her psychological problems, are very similar to what would happen if she'd um, suffered uh, incest as a younger person. And she throws up at that point because it's triggered a memory in her head of the way she was treated by her own father and taken advantage of and abused and seeing that level of you know pleasantness exhibited Mm. by michael douglas and his kids it sets off this awful memory which makes her physically sick oh okay okay that's brilliant I, i suppose i wish that if that was clearer i think that would be amazing it just i was just like i can't believe she's actually been sick well, talking of Clara, I don't know if she was actually pregnant or not. I don't think that's ever resolved in the movie. So that's interesting because I he says he says he phoned up her doctor. Dan yeah. does, and the doctor said to him, "Congratulations." Yeah, which because so, I, I wondered that, but I think that that actually puts that says that she is pregnant. Yeah, but I think that's that's doubly, triply dark. Then when she's killed at the end by Michael Douglas's wife, she's actually murdering two people at that point, and she does know yeah. that Alex is pregnant. I think it plays better for me if she's not pregnant, and this doctor was just someone. She just gives him a number, doesn't she, and goes call this. I mean, who's to say she hasn't enlisted someone to like? just say that to him to you know trap him yeah i mean but the thing is the minute she tells him she's pregnant because of how what you know about how she is as the audience like bollocks there's absolutely no way so then when right. he says to his friends oh i rang the doctor and they say congratulations it's really good because it really reverses the expectation of like what mm. mad women will say to trap someone like that's ever worked or whatever but um yeah it's, i agree it's, he should have used protection like it's his own fault <laughs> Yeah, but to think that no, she actually is pregnant, yeah. I think is really good. And when she, because then she gets some of her best lines about that. Where, when she says to him, "I'm going to be the mother of your child, and I just want some respect," it's like that's fair enough. Like that does make perfect sense. Well, is that what you said to Mark? Yeah. <laughs> talking of contraception, that's one of the. Uh, that was one of the um, th- theories that people said this film was about. It was about the idea of casual sex in the age of um, AIDS. And uh, and so it could be that he should have used uh, a condom and that sort of hammered that home. Although James did and said, "Nope, it's absolutely not about that." 
Yeah, yeah he I've just got, says to her, like, aren't you using anything? And she's like, no. <laughs> so it's like, okay, <laughs> I'm glad you had that conversation a little too late. James Dearden said it was seen by some as a parable about AIDS, by others as, as a critique of the permissive society, and by others still as an attack on feminism in general and single career women in particular, all of which could not have been further from my mind as I was writing the screenplay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, um, can I make an admission? Um, it took me about 20 minutes to realise that uh, Michael Douglas's uh, kid was uh, a girl. <laughs> I honestly, I, th- I kept going, what are they talking about? Have we not met this daughter character yet? When he keeps talking about his daughter, I'm like, I've seen the little boy. There's definitely a little boy he's got. Alan. He's got a little boy called Alan. I mean, it's an, I, I, even I was like, that's an odd name. Why have they called the kid Alan? It just doesn't, it doesn't sit well with me. And then I realised it's a little girl called Ellen. But for a good 15 minutes, I was like, little boy called Alan. Yeah, I, I'm laughing because I'm like, God, Alex, you're so stupid. But I thought exactly the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was really uh, I, cross at myself. I don't want to publicly say I'll, I'll, I'll judge a child on how they look. So I'm going to pretend <laughs> I really knew all saying. along. But I had that hair when I was 11. That was my hair as well. So I should know better. Um, we'll jump in ahead a, a quick second. Um, I will go back. But um, in, in regards to that child, um, she's grown up now. And she said uh, that when she was hysterical in the scene where he admits the affair, she said, I was instructed not to speak. I was standing there with my own stuffed animal. Michael came up to me and said, look at that stupid unicorn. I'm going to throw it in the garbage. <gasps> as, you watch, as you watch the scene, you can see I'm trying really hard to fight back the tears. Finally, <laughs> he was just yelling at me. I couldn't hold it in anymore. Adrian said, cut. Immediately, Michael ran to me and held me and said, I'm sorry. It was pretty intense. <gasps> and Douglas oh says, of that, I felt pretty guilty, but you've got to do what you've got to do. Oh, no. <laughs> do you want to <laughs> I mean that's that is so accurate. It was for the moment. It was for the scene. You know, I had to go to that place like, yeah, child, just child, just send child though. Like, like it doesn't know that you've got to go to that place, Michael. That's so awful. Uh, that's like I when when that scene happens, I knew she was I was like, this kid is the fucking best actor I've ever seen in my life. I started crying because she was so upset. But you know when you're laughing crying, I was like, what's wrong with me? Why am I crying? Because she was so, so distraught. I was like, like, bless her. Oh, See, you've got to do what you've got to do. It was worth it then, what you're saying, Vicky. It was worth it. I, on, I start, you know, when people like cry, laugh, like, and you seem mad because you're just like both emotions at the same time. I'm going, help, what's wrong? Why am I, why am I snort crying? Um, <laughs> but it's because it was a very powerful moment. I really enjoyed the bit where he, he does admit the affair to his wife because he does this amazing thing where he keeps alluding to what might have happened to the point that she goes, wait, did you did you have an affair with her? And at that point, he goes, yes. So he doesn't even, he can't even bring himself to say I had an affair or I had sex with her. He, um, he literally makes her say it yeah. so that he can then just agree with her, which I think is so clever, the way that's constructed. Yeah, makes him seem weaker, which is the point, I suppose. Yeah. So just so just before that scene happens, uh, I didn't realise how often they mentioned the rabbit before the bunny boiling scene. There are three different sequences where they talk about her, what uh, the kid wanting a rabbit, the kid getting yeah. a rabbit, um, and uh, yeah, the scene is so brilliantly shot when it happens. Though um, the juxtaposition of all these different things happening, the kid getting home, running to the hutch, and screaming, "Whitey's gone." 
while mum gets home and sees that the the pot's on and that there's smoke coming out of it and then finally uh seeing the bloody dead uh apparently real rabbit uh burning <laughs> in the pot it's it's so such a brilliantly uh constructed sequence yeah. It is a real rabbit. I think Adrian Lyon said yeah. that it, it smelt disgusting. <laughs> and oh. that's the part of, like the whole room that they were shooting in just smelt of boiled rabbit with it all its it hadn't been dissected or anything, so there's like a lot of gas in the body still, and it was like woohoo. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. You remember that episode where we talked about the different smells of corpses? <laughs> mm, I do. <laughs> And so from this point on, it's sort of less a thriller, and now we're getting into full-on uh, horror territory. Um, yeah. So we move on to Alex kidnaps the kid and takes the kid on a roller coaster. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've got questions to ask of that school, though, if they thought Glenn Close mm. was Anne Archer. <laughs> yeah. I like, did you, um, didn't you pick your daughter up already, you know, when you were blonde and looked totally different? Wasn't that you? <laughs> It's ridiculous. All they have to say is, oh, your babysitter or your nanny or your whatever. She's already big. It was the 80s and safeguarded, as I've said many times, was more relaxed in the 80s. Um, But just to be like, but you've been here already. It's like, okay, whatever. Uh, But I really, really love the serene look on Glenn Close's face when she's on that roller coaster. (laughs) It is so difficult not to lose your shit on a roller coaster. And like that proves how fucking nuts she is to literally sit there and go, and not go, that's incredible. Like, like both for the part, but in real life, like the adrenaline kicks in. And I mean, maybe Glenn Close is just like, she doesn't like roller coasters, but that was just a bit of luck then. Uh, and then uh, we race forward to the finale um, and we'll talk about the ending in the film first, because obviously there's a famous alternate ending. But um, what did you think of the version that was in the film in terms of, um, I guess, uh, Glenn Close attacks uh, Dan's wife, Beth. Uh, We think she's dead and then she's not dead and she attacks Dan and then uh, the wife gets to shoot her in and her unborn child in the stomach. Mm. Uh, Good ending, bad ending, right ending, wrong ending. Uh, it was just she, a I bit. forgot she shot her in the stomach. Yeah. This is dark. If she really was pregnant, that's real. Like that's almost intentional. Like if she go and I'll go get both of them. Yeah, yeah. I just it was a bit rude because I knew I knew what was going to happen. So there was no shock, um, which took the suspense out of it a bit. But also, it's a bit maybe it's just a bit too horror-y. Like how did she get into the bathroom? Michael Douglas is shown like triple locking all the doors. So. Am I supposed to think she shimmied up the fucking drain pipe? Like No, it- she was already in the house. Already in the house. Oh, okay. Yeah, I read a horror story for teenagers when I was a kid about this kid who's really scared of monsters and he locks his bedroom and he's got like six locks on the door and he locks all the locks because he wants to make sure nothing gets in. And then he gets into bed and this little voice under the bed goes, now we're all locked in. And I'm like, oh my God, that's terrifying. And that's the going close ending. <laughs> Uh, and the reason, so should we talk about the alternate ending? Yeah. Um, have, did you watch it? Because it's on um, YouTube. No. Alex, did you watch it? 
Yeah, I find it very difficult to talk about um, the actual the, the the ending that we've seen in the movie, the the, re, the, the ending that they use without talking about um, the alternate ending because I love the ending that they changed it to the one that's on the movie, the the actual ending. Um, because I, I I'm I'm that person. I'm the focus groups that <laughs> did not like the the ending where Glenn Close. Um, basically kills herself and frames Michael Douglas for it and he goes to jail, which was the original ending, right? Yeah, the the audiences watched this ending and were screaming, kill the bitch, kill the bitch, and then were very disappointed when uh, when he goes to her apartment a bit earlier in the film. We're very disappointed. So this ending, um, he's with his family at home, raking leaves, the police come round, tell him that um, Alex has killed herself with a knife which has his fingerprints on which we saw because there was a close-up here in the film of him putting the knife in her in her apartment down on the table yeah yeah and uh so he's taken away uh to go to prison for her murder and then um when the wife is looking for the lawyer's phone number she finds the tape that alex left listen to a bit more of it she says she's going to do something like kill herself and apparently that's all the evidence she needs to save Dan. <laughs> and then the final shot is of, of Glenn Close um, slitting her own neck with the knife um, as she's listening to Madam Butterfly. And it's very, <laughs> it's very low key. It's very downbeat. Uh, thematically, it feels like the right ending to me. But it reminds me of Get Out. You know, there's the alternate ending of Get Out where he gets arrested for the murders of all the white people that they shot. Oh, okay. Uh, which again, I think is the right ending. But for that film, they decided that audiences deserve to have this moment of um, catharsis. And it was the same with this audiences. And, and, and the screenwriter didn't want to do it, but he was told, you know, this is going to be a $40 million hit uh, with the ending we've got, but it's going to make hundreds of millions of dollars. Our tracking's telling us if we change the ending. So, Well, Glenn Close is the one who was by all accounts just like distraught that they were changing the ending because she loved like this character she'd built uh, Alex and she said it was a terrible betrayal of the character to um turn her into your garden variety psychopath and that's why in the reshot ending she still insisted on mutilating herself in the leg to prove that as well as being a destructive force she was still ultimately self-destructive and so she rallied um, against the idea of changing it and made her point. And it was actually William Hurt who went, look, you've made your point because uh, he's a friend of hers, not because he was involved in the movie. Uh, you've made your point. Now you have to, you know, do the right thing and shoot the alternate ending. But I do like what Michael Douglas said because he, uh, <laughs> yeah, he said, uh, <laughs> it's so, it's, 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 it made me love Michael Douglas yeah, me too. so much where like, she's like she, he's going, he's going, look, you know, it might not be what's best for the character, but it's what's best for the movie. And she goes, how would you feel like if they did this to your character, if they totally switched your character? And Michael Douglas said, babe, I'm a whore. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so uh they get and, and then the camera pans to the final shot is the camera panning to the hall of a smiling photo of the family in happier times which again this uh james did and said he wrote that to be deeply ironic but audiences yeah. saw it just simply as a happy ending 
Um, no, that that's stupid. It's um, it's clearly to show like the hollowness of. I'll tell you what though. I'm, um, it reminds me. I was like, why have we got no family portraits? My family, I mean. Um, we don't have a single one. Like, if anything happened to us as a family, I can't prove that we're related in any way. Um, anyway, so that's just on my to-do list. That's on my lockdown to-do list, this stage of family portrait. So there we go. Uh, anyway, what was I saying? Yeah, it's like, oh, look, we're happy, but uh, yeah, we can still do stupid things like this, even though we're happy. Yes? How long do you think that that, that marriage lasts after that final shot, Vicky? Forever. <laughs> they do it. It's like tit for tat, no pun intended. So now she gets a turn with someone and then they're equal. That's how most marriages work, I believe. Um, <laughs> what? So, so he's, had a, yeah, he's had a go on someone. She gets a go on someone. And then they're back to like uh, level pegging. Can I make a suggestion for a better ending than either of the ones that we've talked yeah. about? So that original oh. ending, when he gets arrested for the murder... She still goes up to the room, finds the tape by Alex, uh, listens to the tape, realises that it will exonerate him, and then she destroys the tape. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a wicked ending. Uh, that is a great ending. So her vengeance is he goes to prison for her murder. Yeah. Do you know, I, it was... I think the original, the original, original ending, there was no tape, though. The original, original ending, am I right? It, like, he just goes to prison and that is the end. There's no exonerating tape. No, I That's think correct. there was always a tape, but if I'm no, wrong, I'm wrong. I, I think, th- no, I think, sorry, I think the original original ending was she kills herself, Alex kills herself with the knife that has his prints on, and he goes to prison, and that is the end. Then there was another ending, which was written by um, the guy who directed Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, who added in that tape bit so that she, he goes to prison. Then the wife finds the tape and you realize he's going to be exonerated because it proves that Alex did it. So that was another ending and audiences didn't like that as well. And then they went for the one that we finally saw. Well, they got it right. Um, Cause the film was a monster smash uh, in terms of it being a critique on feminism. Uh, I love this from the Chicago Tribune uh, at the time. They, they wrote, there is a monster stalking America and it not, it has not fangs, but a briefcase, not cloven hooves, but a smartly tailored suit. On the evidence of Jagged Edge, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Fatal Attraction and Baby Boo, the most feared figure in Hollywood is the career woman. She can be humiliated, tamed or blown away, but she must be eliminated or so our increasingly misogynistic movies are telling us. Do you like that, Vicky? Do you like that, Vicky? I agree with you, what you said earlier. I don't see Glenn Close doing any work, so I don't have her down as a career woman in the traditional sense. Us actual career women are working our asses off. Well, the new to- ending, the head of the head of Paramount, um, when they said we, the audiences didn't like the original ending, um, he uh, he said, "Here's 1.5 million dollars, and we've been told by to reshoot the ending because audiences have, have told us they want us to terminate the bitch with extreme prejudice." <laughs> <laughs> lovely, lovely language. <laughs> but um, James Dearden talking about the feminism issue, uh, I, his quote here made me laugh he's, he's taken credit for a lot with this script he says did, <laughs> he says did fatal attraction really set back feminism and career women i honestly don't believe so i think that yeah. arguably it encouraged a vigorous debate from which feminism emerged if anything far stronger <laughs> and are not there more- <laughs> he, he, he's not finished he says are there not more women succeeding in high-powered careers today question mark you're welcome, <laughs> ladies. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! 
Um, so any 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 more for any more on this one? Any bits of trivia, Alex? Any, any nah, more? let's do the bits. Okay. Uh, Vicky, what is your favourite scene? It's the bunny boiler scene. Even though, for what everything we've just said, even though I knew it was coming, the way it's cut, the way it's shot, um, the juxtaposition, it's I knew exactly what was going to happen and it was still shocking. So it's, that's my favourite scene. It's brilliant. Alex? Uh, I'm picking that scene I mentioned earlier when she first turns to him after he says I'm going to leave and just before the wrist uh, slitting moment um, I think she's just brilliant where she just sort of goes oh please I hate you fuck you come on I'm a victim I love you all of that and, like, and goes through it all I, I think then you realise just how terrifying she is mm. yeah and I, I think the scene after that with the, the slitting of the wrist as I said that really disturbed me as a kid and really disturbs me now um but yeah, Whitey's death's a good one as well. Although calling a rabbit Whitey, come on. I thought it was uh, called Lady. Nah, Whitey. I, miss, I misheard that. I mean, I'd, 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 I'd take the piss, but I called my first cat Puss. So. Did you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you being serious? <laughs> no, yeah, genuinely, my first cat was called Puss. I'd be like, here, Puss, Puss. And I was like, yeah, it's called Puss. Oh, how old were you? 24. <laughs> 29. 29. Uh, Alex, MVW, most valuable whatever. It's got to be close, hasn't it? I genuinely have, as I said at the start, this is the first watch for me. And it's been a long time since I had such a powerful, like, reaction to a character and uh, whether she likes it or not as an actress, the fact that I saw her as this villain, <laughs> need to be terminated. Um, like, it's true. Like, I, I was like, I need her to die. She is awful, um, which for, makes for a great movie, a great performance from her and a great movie. I loved it. And I loved the fact that um, she gets it at the end. You know, Beth, Beth told her. Beth told her on the phone. She had a proper Liam Neeson taken moment. Yes, she went, she if you come near my family again, I'll kill you. I'm like, go Liam Neeson slash Beth. <laughs> uh, Vicky. So I, w- I would uh, put, um, throw my hat into the ring for Glenn Close, particularly for everything Alex has said, but also for the scene when she apologises for the wrist cutting thing and she says to michael douglas you you weren't meant to see that it's the result of some you know some other stuff that doesn't involve you and apologizes to him and i started to think oh shit that does actually sound quite reasonable when you put it like that even though you're clearly bonkers however i'm gonna have to vote for ellen the child she is so fucking cute and gorgeous and when she screams for the rabbit i nearly started crying then and then now it turns out that michael douglas like bollocked her into crying about her unicorn i honestly i was sobbing i just thought she was just such a good lovely child and i might be having a bit of a weird moment but i just i was i love that child so there we are (laughs) does someone wish they had a daughter (laughs) (laughs) the longed for girl (laughs) Uh, (laughs) i'm only saying it because my mum my mum said literally those words to me once she went shit like we were shopping somewhere we were going around a clothes shop and she was like you hate this don't you and i'm like oh it's fine i don't mind it's like i wish i had a daughter so i could actually go shopping with someone who didn't hate it (laughs) but you're quite you're quite close to being a daughter alex let's be honest what? No, I'm not. That's not right. Uh, that's not. That's not right. I'm not. I'm like. I'm very. Uh, I've become more manly actually. When we come out of this uh, self isolation, uh, whoa, Chris, you're going to get an eyeful. Um, I'm. Uh, I've really. I've really manned up a lot. <laughs> Have you been training for the race? 
<laughs> I, I, honestly, the more you bring it up, the more embarrassing the podcast the week after the race is going to be because you're going down. I'm imagining you running as looking like a giraffe running across the plains. A baby giraffe. I, it's, it's best if you imagine it because you're not going to see it because I'll be so far away by the time you start running. Uh, my MVW is a Beth's dad. Um, he doesn't say anything, but when she he comes to visit her at the hospital, the hard stare that he gives Dan Gallagher yeah. is... Yeah. is brilliant it's a it's up there with paddington's hard stare it's so effective <laughs> um but also what's, what's paddington's hard stare paddington does a hard stare when he's angry with someone have you not seen the paddington movies yes but i don't remember the hard stare yeah that's his thing that's his thing when he's upset he doesn't all he does is give someone a hard stare and they know it's 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 over all right good 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 and uh what would you change if anything uh vicky so when Glenn Close is in the bathroom with Beth and she's having a bit, she's, when she's cutting her leg and she says to Beth, you're selfish and you're keeping Michael Douglas away from me. She, you shouldn't do it like that, right? She should try in her own bonkers way to team up with her and say, look, you don't want him. He's no good to you now. I'll take him off your hands. We're going to have a baby. You'll get shitloads of money from the divorce and you could start again. You can take your beautiful daughter and go and start again. And then it should seem to like almost work. So Beth is like, oh, okay, that kind of makes sense so that when she shoots her it's a more of a surprise um that's that's my change wait so beth wait just i, I can't believe i'm going to get into this because no uh but <laughs> also um wait are you saying so beth is just using it as a cunning ploy to like so so alex convinces beth that she they should join forces and beth goes along with it but only so she can then get a better shot at her. Yeah, to be able to get out of the bathroom in the first place unharmed. So she seems mm. to agree with her. But also, you're, it's the classic thing of pitting the women against each other. When there's, You don't have to play the scene like that. You can have them teaming up, even if it's not real. But also... Um, when Beth shoots Glenn Close, I do like the fact that she did warn her. She did say to her, if, I'll, if you come near my family, I'll kill you. And she should. But when she shoots her, it's more like, oh, I'm protecting my husband. And I like the darkness of it. I'm shooting you because you've threatened me and my family and my situation. And I'll deal with Michael Douglas later. But I'm angry at you. And it's got nothing to do with him. Do you know what I mean? Because it's more of a right. it's uh, more of a moment for her as a character rather than her as a wife. Is what I'm saying. I get it. So, yeah, um, it works if you see Michael Douglas as as really like if he, if his culpability in this whole thing was like more signposted, that would work. But I, yeah. I do think he, by by that point in the movie, you feel for him, you have sympathetic towards him, so you do sort of want him to be defended. Yeah. I, I I do think that like if you. Huh. By that point, if in Beth, if Beth is the woman who's been cheated on by Michael Douglas, if if you have been cheated on by uh, your partner, watching that partner drown the woman he cheated on you with <laughs> in a bath in your house, that's probably got to make you feel a bit better about the whole thing. That is surely a way to go. See, I drowned her in a bath, though. Are we back on? <laughs> <laughs> we back on <laughs> Alex what would you change um, I you mentioned it already actually my change this week I'd have liked to have seen Alex at work 
Um, <laughs> just sort of do some work, maybe put a little bit of the energy she's putting into fucking up Michael Douglas's life into, like, you know, publishing a fucking magazine. Uh, I think that would have been good. But, you know, no, more seriously, I do think it would have been really quite effective to see, because we only see her being a nut job. And to actually see her having to be normal in an office with other people and, like, you know, if he turned up to her office to try and talk her, talk to her, you know, on her turf, like, that dynamic of, like, her being, like, I want to be normal in front of my staff and you're here and I've been psychotic towards you and and now you're in my place of work, so... I think that would have added a real sort of a level of interest that isn't in the movie already. Well, I think 100% on that front. Um, as we were talking about the fact where have these sort of sex thrillers gone from the cinemas, they're on telly. I think now if you made Fatal Attraction, it would be a Netflix series, wouldn't it? And we'd be able to see her gradual breakdown happen over a period of time because they've only got two hours to tell this story. And I am sympathetic to that. You know, she does. it does happen rather quickly, her going mad. But... Mm. They didn't have a huge amount of choice in that if they wanted to keep it down to two hours. So um, I totally agree, Alex, and I think this would make a quite a good sort of eight-part series. Uh, my change would be, um, it's a bit like I'm Legend the other day in that they seed one ending throughout I'm Legend and then change the ending. Uh, and so you don't get what's been set up. And I think here they really did set up that alternate ending you know, the conversations about Madame Butterfly, the music, the the close-up of him um, holding the knife. And Glenn Close even said in the original script, there was a scene of Alex at the opera alone watching Butterfly kill herself. That was never filmed. I'm sure it was a financial consideration, but without that scene, the ending didn't have the resonance it would have. I loved the original ending. I always felt Alex was more suicidal than psychotic. Um, I'm with her on that, and then I would have added my coda to that ending as well of of the wife uh, throwing away the tape so Dan does go to prison flexibility is great that's why there's yoga flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too that's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible budget friendly coverage for medical vision dental and more one of these plans may be right for you if you're say between jobs coming off your parents plan turning a side hustle into a full hustle or even missed open enrollment want more flexibility find out more about united healthcare insurance plans at uh1.com burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping and that extends to their outdoor collection their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements featuring rust proof stainless steel hardware weather ready teak and quick dry foam cushions for Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So that was Fatal Attraction. We flash forward five years now to basic instinct, Victoria. What do you call a blonde 
rich, immaculately presented and successful writer who really loves ice, coke, and is a fucking great driver. Make that a diet coke and it's me. Not really. I'm talking about Sharon Stone and her star-making turn in 1992's Basic Instinct, the much-discussed film I think of every time I trim my bush, which, as an admired topiarist, as well as Sharon Stone impersonator, is more than you realise. <laughs> Sorry, I've got a laugh. <laughs> wow. Do you know how much effort that costs to me? <laughs> Alex, I feel sick. Are you alright? I am so. I'm sorry. I am so funny. (laughs) I need a lot of editing this week. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. All right. But at least we've got it out of the way. Okay. But that implies that it was going to come up naturally. I don't think it was. Really? <laughs> You've no, already said, I don't. One of you's already said beaver about an hour ago, I think. <laughs> oh, dearie me. Honestly, my hands are shaking. Uh-huh. Wait a minute. All right. Okay. Hey, we're back. Hey, <laughs> hey. hey kids. <laughs> hey, kids. This is a family show. So let's talk about Basic Instinct. <laughs> can we? Tell- yeah. Can we talk about Basic Instinct as a way of cleaning the show up? <laughs> who can tell me a single thing that happens that doesn't involve Sharon Stone's bush no one no I'm kidding there's lots to say <laughs> oh dear how's it feel to kill someone you tell me you're in over your head she seduces people she manipulates people she's evil I have nothing too high. You playing a game here? Games are over. Did you did you do you remember watching this movie like years ago or what was it like when this movie um, like first sort of landed on your radar? Yeah, I'm trying to move things on. Was that obvious? No, I, what I will say is I, I've i never actually sat down and watched it properly until last week. Like, I've seen it, but it was on in a room kind of thing. I obviously didn't see it in 1992 because I was merely a child. But I haven't, I've never sat down with someone and gone, shall we watch Basic Instinct? Yeah, great. So it was a, uh, yeah, it was a refreshing experience to watch it last week. And I think it's important to watch it as a grown-up because it is for grown-ups. Like, it isn't meant for... Um, twelve-year-old boys. I mean, it is in a way, but I would I would disagree. Yeah, (laughs) this movie is made for twelve-year-old boys who did not have the internet. (laughs) It's it's it's, but you make such a good point. It is so weird. Like as an adult, going, shall we watch this erotic thriller, Basic Instinct, directed by Paul Verhoeven and written by Joe Esterhaus? Like as opposed to going, stick it on, go on, yeah, put that movie on, yeah, 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 put that movie on. Your parents will be home soon. Put it on now. Yeah, making a conscious choice to be like, oh, what should we watch tonight, dear? Oh, Basic Instinct. But it is, yeah, and and also to study it, to analyze it, to make notes on it. I'm like, Mm. my hands have never been free before to make notes. (laughs) (laughs) I I also think that is an interesting point, though, because I think I've seen this film three times. 
And the first time, I mean, I wasn't really concentrating on the plot, but I did think I got it. And then the other two times, I, I was suddenly super confused by what was happening in the last half hour. There's so much information thrown at you. Um, that this time I found it a really useful exercise to be able to take notes. And I'm still not sure if I'm any the wiser, but at least I have more of a semblance of understanding of what they're trying to do in terms of the twists and turns. Yeah, it's a bit tacked on, uh, but I could see they were trying to create more of a mystery, having there been basically no mystery for (laughs) like 75 minutes. um, They do go to quite a lot of effort to try and make it a bit twisty-turny towards the end. Mm. I mean, it's been fun researching this one because Paul Verhoeven and Joe Esterhaz are such big characters that mm. um, they're not necessarily nice people, but they're certainly interesting and they give good quotes. If you've been yeah. watching or reading any of their interviews the last week while researching this, I mean, there's a mm. lot of interesting behind the scenes bollocks that happened on this one. <laughs> oh my gosh. Have you um, have you read uh, Joe Esterhaz's book, Hollywood Animal? No, I would like to. You should. It's... Fantastic. I mean, it does make you, and as Chris was saying, when you look at the interviews that they were doing, especially interviews from the time that they were making this, as opposed to sort of more recent ones, like the way films were made at that point and the way people spoke to each other and the way studios behaved, uh, it's, it's wow. It's like a, it's a real like stargate to another time. It's, I loved it. And the book is the same, Hollywood Animal. You're like, shit, it would have been nice to be working in Hollywood at that period. Or at least been a fly on the wall in a writer's room at that All period. Right. Or Easy Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, there's that thing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, do you want to guide us gently into this, Victoria? (laughs) Yeah, sure. Let me. Um, So we open on the murder of a rock star and we meet the girlfriend or person he was certainly shagging around that time. And that is Sharon Stone. Michael Douglas is the cop with a past because he's being investigated by internal affairs and he's sent to interview her about where she was. What? Was it Sharon Stone? Are we saying that was Sharon Stone? Are we doing that was definitely Sharon Stone? Now we're going to talk about uh, it, it. Was it Sharon Stone? Oh, is it definitely what, Sharon Stone? Is she the, is she the what, murderer? Does she murder Johnny that, Boz? That's not what I mean. I mean, yeah, but also that's not what I meant. What I meant was that was she was certainly his um, girlfriend or person he was seeing. As she's she's quite clear to say, I wasn't his girlfriend. I was shagging him. So that's her distinction. But, but she is definitely the one who puts the ice pick through his face. <laughs> I would have said so. Um, I read that um, Queer Nation went around by the set because they weren't happy about the depiction of lesbians or bisexual people in this film. And they went around the set outside with big T-shirts on that said, Catherine did it to ruin the ending yeah. for people. <laughs> well, they did, well no, they, they did that. They did that as cinemas to ruin the ending. They, they, named, oh. their, uh, they named their group Catherine did it, actually. Uh, and they had it on the t-shirts but but yeah they were unhappy that that the film was about a homicidal lesbian and you know we touched upon this with science of the lambs about um homosexuality or trans issues being linked with murder and they were upset that the the lesbian in this film winds up dead the bisexual girl ends up with a man but their demonstrations (laughs) i really like they 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 blew whistles while they were trying to shoot on location they shined lights in the cameras they cut cables but they also held up signs saying honk if you like the 69 the 49ers rather <laughs> sorry Freudian slip 
<laughs> honk if you like the 49ers, which in San Francisco meant that every sports fan was honking as they went past the set, which I think is really clever. That's brilliant. It goes it goes deeper than that. So this, is, this is the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, uh, which is glad. And they were even more incensed because the film was actually shooting in... Um, uh, San Francisco in the in the heart of uh, the gay areas of San Francisco, and so they were really really angry. And the like you say, the demonstrations and the protests uh, were so full on that the film's producer Alan Marshall uh, and Joe Esterhouse and Paul Verhoeven actually sat down with the demonstrators to listen to their demands and what they actually wanted to be done differently about the film. And it's really fascinating. They had some very specific demands. Their demands were that Michael Douglas's character should be turned into a lesbian and played by Kathleen Turner, specifically. That that was what they wanted to happen. Um, They also, which is, I guess, more reasonable, they wanted Catherine Trammell and Roxy um, to murder uh, women, as well, so it made lesbian and bisexual women seem less like man-haters. Now, of uh, Paul Verhoeven, Alan Marshall, and Joe Esterhouse, Joe Esterhouse was the one who seemed amenable to putting changes in. So one of his changes was a line that Michael Douglas's character would say, which was, a lot of the best people I've met in this town are gay. Um, <laughs> which <laughs> the then CEO of Carol Co., the production company, said... I consider his changes patronizing drivel. Joe Esterhouse is a sniveling hypocrite and I have no use for him. Besides, we would never change a script in response to political pressure. Talk about a different time when people just spoke their minds. <laughs> Interestingly, though, the San Francisco Examiner, which is the second biggest paper in San Francisco, they they approached the... Um, the protests and the demonstrations by the gay community and these gay activists, they, they didn't like them particularly. And they said, one article uh, said that they, they should stop these stormtrooper tactics, saying that the thought police of the left are at it again and their effort to shoot down the movie is wrong and dangerous. People of minority views, gay activists among them, should be especially careful to protect the freedom of speech and thought. So um, it was a real time in San Francisco when they were trying to make this movie. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's your uh, political analysis done for the day. Basically, I would certainly recommend uh, reading the book that uh, really goes into quite a lot of depth of this. I, I started reading it. It's um, it's called uh, Movie Making, and I'll find the name. It's I've got it here somewhere, but it's um, it's a really fascinating book. It goes into all the controversy and censorship around films. When I find the name, I'll give it to you. <laughs> okay, great. I, I can't wait. So, um, Michael Douglas, What the point I'm trying to make is we need to get Sharon Stone and Michael Douglas in a scene together because you need to see that they've got this, like, this connection that's just pure, raw connection for some reason. And she is sitting in her beach house by the uh, the cliff edge, basically, and Michael Douglas comes to interview her to find out where she was when her rock star boyfriend was murdered with an ice pick. And I think this scene quite perfectly sets the tone of their relationship and their characters. So they're by the beach. There's crashing waves. Every time he speaks, you can hardly hear what he's saying because it's like waves. And he's like, where were you? And she sounds like she's been dubbed over the top of the waves. So he, you can barely hear what he's saying. And then you just get Sharon Stone's voice 
calm and like clear as you like, just going like, what's it to you? Why do you care where I was? So she's like, she's the one and she remains the person that's more in control of the situation than he is throughout the film, which is a reason to like it. Yeah, but it's because we're dealing with a devious, diabolical mind. That's right. She's brilliant. She's dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) That line is so ridiculous. (laughs) Um, So when we she wasn't the first choice, though, was she? There was loads of people who they wanted before her. There was Kim Bassinger, and they wanted Meg Ryan, Michelle Pfeiffer, Julia Roberts, and it was Michael Douglas who really like fought for there to be a big name because he felt the movie was going to bring a lot of heat with it. So he wanted an A-lister of equal stature alongside him. So any controversy that came wasn't just going to rest on his shoulders and it wasn't just going to be his name in the press. But I thought she wasn't, she wasn't that well known before this, was she? That's what I mean. That's yeah. why he didn't want her. He wanted all the other people, and um, oh, I see and that. none of them, none of them would take it because a lot of them would not do the nudity. Yeah, and it was actually she was actually doing some redubbing on a plain version of Total Recall, an in-flight version of Total Recall, and she'd heard about this role and she hadn't been approached, and she knew Paul Verhoeven was going to be there, and obviously they'd worked together on Total Recall, and so she turned up looking like a vamp, all mm. sexy, in the hope that he'd go. Hang on a second. And he bloody did. <laughs> I read that... Um, so Sharon Stone and Joe Estherhouse really hit it off as well. But she was cross with him for not writing the part sooner because she was convinced that she was sort of getting past it. I mean, she looks incredible. Um, I think she was about 34 when she played the role, or when they had this conversation anyway. So she was sort of bemoaning, like, because it made her name so quickly... Um, and she'd worked really, really hard to get to that point, but she felt that she'd sort of missed it a little, like missed her window a little bit. Well, hang on a sec. Are we are we not including Police Academy Four Citizens on Patrol <laughs> in her stunning resume to this point? That was the first Police Academy movie I saw, and she is in it. She is in it, for sure. <laughs> um, but obviously this is the thing that made her... Um, a household name, I would say, for lots of reasons. Um, but her performance, aside from the nudity, is also excellent. Um, so if we want to talk, I don't know if you want to talk about the plot, but there's this plot device about Catherine Trammell being a novelist and the way that the people in her life are murdered are also the ways in um, that her characters are murdered in her books. So the police officers spend a lot of time saying that's her alibi. Um, she'll say, I could never have done it because why would I put it in a book? That's her alibi. So two things that annoyed me. No, that's a book. A book is not an alibi. <laughs> an alibi is someone saying, no, she was with me when this happened. <laughs> <laughs> not a book. Um, and I think it, I understand it's not that sort of film, but for me, as a as a true crime enthusiast, we just need a little bit of basic police work ticking off the list. Just one scene where they're like, we've checked the cameras, there's nothing, lie detectors, we all know they're bullshit anyway. Like, just a few scenes where they're like, it seems to, because she's, she's committing the perfect crime to Lords. Like, nothing ties her to this scene at all. So I like, would like, like a reason like you why. Say, it's the- 
It's a, it's it's because she's got this uh, this like you said a devious diabolical mind as as Ned Ryerson from Groundhog Day announces <laughs> to the room. It's a bit annoying. It's a bit annoying that it's Ned Ryerson going. She's got a devious diabolical mind, and then like uh, Newman from Seinfeld oh my <laughs> pops up in the next scene, and you're like, I can deal with one of them, but yeah. Newman and Ned Ryerson both together, I'm like, oh, this is too much comedy. There are some so- great lines where they build her up though including that one but another one I like is when Michael Douglas says I love it she's got a hundred million dollars she fucks fighters and rock and roll stars and she's got a degree in screwing with people's heads and someone else <laughs> says you forgot about her degree in literature <laughs> <laughs> oh dear um so eventually oh no I say eventually I mean quite quickly we get to the very very famous interrogation scene with Newman from Seinfeld um which is another reason I can't quite cope with this scene also why does she not sit behind a desk (laughs) because (laughs) i believe when you're being interviewed by the police you are sat at a desk and when michael (laughs) douglas is taken in for questioning in the same room 20 minutes later he gets to sit behind a desk so why doesn't she? <laughs> well, yeah, Jan de Bont, who was the cinematographer on this, when he he's talking about this, looking back at it, he's pissing himself about how they've set up the room and he lit it, obviously. And he was saying, it's just ridiculous how we've lit this room. That all the men are in shade yeah. and she's in a bright light so we can see everything. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but go on. Sorry, go on, Alex. No, I was just going to say, this is, this is a scene that there is so much controversy about in terms of, you know, Sharon Stone... And I, it took me so long to trace back to where she actually first said it and where the big falling out with Paul Verhoeven occurred because Sharon Stone um, said um, it was on the actor's studio, I think she first announced it, um, that she hadn't been made aware that you'd be able to see um, her vagina in this scene. Um she said that Paul Verhoeven had said to her, the light is reflecting off your white underpants. You're going to need to take them off. What? Um, but we won't see anything. It'll just be in shadow. This is what Sharon Stone said. And so that's why she did it. And she hadn't realized that you'd be able to see up there. And when she watched it in a screening room with him, she'd slapped him because he'd done that. And that's her argument. Now, Paul Verhoeven says... This is absolute bullshit. And uh, she was very happy to do it. I explained to her that it was going to be an iconic moment. It showed the power and the control that she had. Uh, there was only myself and Yanderbomb and sound and script in the room. So she was absolutely fine with it. And it was her agent afterwards who went, you need to maybe come out and be like, I didn't know that was going to happen in case people think things about you for doing that scene. And it's also the reason Paul Verhoeven wouldn't do Basic Instinct 2. He said, uh, as much as I love Sharon Stone, I hate her, (laughs) especially after the lies she told about the scene with her uncrossing and crossing her legs. That was a straight up lie. She knew exactly what was going on. I would never be able to do a sequel unless... I checked out whether Sharon Stone was still a nightmare or not. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and if you look at her talking about it in Cannes, where the film debuted, she takes full credit for the scene and says it was entirely her idea. <laughs> uh, there, there are so many different versions of it. There's a version Paul Verhoeven says he took her out for dinner the night before and told her about a teacher's wife back when he was a student who used to flash the students at parties in that, in that way. 
and that he thought uh, that was a really interesting thing for a character to do. I mean, it's it's he said, she said, isn't it? So I don't think we'll ever know what the truth is, but it's... But then maybe that's quite a clever thing to do because you you know when you're in that scene, you know when you're shooting that scene and lighting that scene and everything else that there's going to be quite a fuss made. So maybe it's a, a sort of a strategy to deflect it around the group effectively so that no one claims credit, no one gets full blame, like in inverted commas so that it's it, and it sort of remains a mystery if someone because also if someone just comes out if Joe Esterhaus comes out and says yeah I wrote it which I don't think he did no then... he's categorically said he didn't he didn't yeah he can't take credit for it and, and knowing him as I do having read a lot of him this week he would have taken credit for it if he could have. for sure yeah do you know what I mean he's not the <laughs> well, sort well, to be like... just to jump on that I mean Joe Esterhaus I've read Hollywood Animal and I found the quote from him and not only like does he not take credit for it, he says that uh, you know the most famous moment moment from any of my films was Paul Verhoeven's. I am a militant and militantly insufferable screenwriter who insists that the screenwriter is as important as the director, and whose most famous and memorable scene comes from the director Paul Verhoeven. Yeah. So he he thinks. It's the most memorable scene in every of his movies. And he says, no, it was all Paul Verhoeven's idea. Mm, okay. He talks about apparently Verhoeven said to him he wanted to flash those little bitty hairs. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Don't say it on. Yeah, Paul it's, Ver- not, it's the bitty. Just, That's sort of, you've just, got to say that in a Dutch accent just, as well. <laughs> <laughs> just for parity, though, Paul Verhoeven, when he said he wanted to make Basic Instinct because he wanted to put the first erect penis in a mainstream Hollywood movie. Which he couldn't do, obviously. I mean, I don't think he knew what he was saying because that was never going to happen. But that's why he wanted to make it because he wanted to see an erect penis in a Hollywood movie. It's good to have a dream, isn't it? Something to work towards. (laughs) Do you know what? It really is. It really is. So once we've... uh, So let's... Moving on from... um... Oh, wait, hang on. There's way more talk about Beaver. Uh, (laughs) And I say Beaver intentionally... Because one of my favourite moments that was ever parodies of this scene, uh, which only because we were talking about it the other day, Loaded Weapon 1, where they recreate this scene and there's an actress in the Sharon Stone role and she's about to... she Instead of crossing her legs, she swivels. She does a like a 180 on the chair and everyone's looking at her and all the men are like, this is it. This is the moment. And the chair spins round and she's transformed into a giant actual... Beaver, the animal that's sitting there smoking. <laughs> that wasn't funny until you said it was smoking. <laughs> <laughs> that's why it's funny. It's a beaver sitting there looking at them smoking, going, all right. <laughs> all right, that's enough of that scene then. Fine. Okay, so then we see Catherine Trammell's strategy to make, oh, oh, sort of embroil Michael Douglas, whose character name is Nick, like into her, into the plot of her next novel. So she uses his name constantly, which is is your classic technique um, to flatter someone who loves the sound of their own name. Just say it a lot. They, they can't resist that shit. Um, so he's kind of in, like he's, he's intrigued. He gives her a lift home. I can't remember what happens. There's just some Hitchcockian style intrigue. Um, which he then takes out, I think, on his kind of ex-girlfriend, but also his police-appointed psychologist, his girlfriend, ex-girlfriend rather, Beth, um, takes her home. That's a weird scene. Um, I get it. I I really, I do get it. And I I don't have a problem with what happens. But afterwards, she says to him that is, you know, she has the strength to, to question what happened, but then it never comes up again. 
and it sort of gets forgotten about. And I've yeah. So to the, the, the question is, is, is it date rape or is it rough yeah. sex? Um, yeah. What, what did Joe you hear, Joe say? Yeah. He, well, he says it was never intention. It's never intended to be date rape. Um, it's it's meant to be something different between them, but something that she's into. Um, and he thinks it plays out like that. And I don't disagree with him until she afterwards says you can. She's like, she, what did she say? Like that you've never done that or something. Anyway, um, she doesn't seem happy about it. But it yeah, meant- but would you be happy about it? He, the bit that he puts his fingers up her nose. Does he? I was <laughs> yeah. Like well, the, towards the end, he's got his. It's got his two fingers up in her nostrils. Are you I was sure. Yes, sure? I watched it. You, you, what, this is me. You're talking to. How do I feel about fingers in mouths and noses and the smell of fingers and any fi- other people's fingers near my face? You're of so course, strange. I noticed it. Do you only and have pet it's, hazmat suits? How do you even do it? How is it even possible? Uh, uh, how about the fact that people just wash their hands, you know, just before <laughs> sex? <laughs> I'm just saying, that scene plays very differently if I'm watching it, because I'm thinking, what if he's just had, like, a pack of frazzles? And like, then he puts it, If he's just put his fingers up her nose, and he's got frazzle dust, and it is dust, frazzle dust all over his fingers, I don't want, I don't want my sexual encounter to end by smelling frazzle. Fair enough. Um, I, I, that, that I, quote, the quote from Joe Esther has, though, uh, that I had, he says it, the intent was not rape, it was rough sex, but today yeah. the yardstick is different. And I'm like, Joe, it yeah, isn't no, really, though, is it? Date rape is date rape is date rape. Yeah. It doesn't matter what decade you're in. Um, I think the different. I think what he, I'm not, I can't put words into his mouth, but to say, oh, you, you couldn't do that today or you blah, 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 whatever. Yeah. That's the bit that's bullshit. But what you, what you do differently today is that if someone has... If she, the character, says, I'm not sure about that, you can't just let that be. You know, she yeah. says, I wasn't sure about that. Um, and then afterwards, she's like, but I love you and it's fine and whatever. And it, it's just, you know, why bring it up at all for it to be forgotten about? She's either into it or she's not into it or she can change her mind or whatever else. But she starts to have that conversation. And it doesn't get picked up. I think she kicks him out. Like, you know, it doesn't end well. So but let's be honest. Her character there? is a complete mess. Once once you're... um of yeah. the mind that that um Sharon Stone is the killer then trying to figure out where her character is coming from is yeah. madness and i couldn't i couldn't for the life of me figure out what she's doing from scene to scene if yeah. you know depending on whether she realizes she's being set up the way she's behaving it just makes yeah. no sense and it's i think it's no. the real problem at the crux of the film yeah, she says so, it like an so, emotional punch bag. It doesn't make it, she, her, the way she behaves makes no sense. And she, when she says, "Oh, I loved you," at the end, it's like, really? Why? It, none of it makes. sense. Can I have some clarity? Like, so, just, just, just for me. So she was in a relationship with Catherine Tramell, Sharon Stone at college, or she was infatuated with her. Which, which, which one is it? And she slept with who, her, what? and she was briefly. She, she was. She slept with her, and she was briefly infatuated with her. Right. She but was... she didn't do any of the murders then. No, no, no. Okay, but but the Just way checking. the way she behaves, uh, for if that's the truth, as that's the truth, the way she behaves doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. She behaves in certain ways just to throw us off the scent and make us think she's done stuff. She doesn't yeah. behave as a person in that situation actually would, who's clearly being set up and yeah. knows it <laughs> and right. should know it. You uh, know, I just. 
I read one. I got one of the theories is that there are two parallel stories going on here. The film has two endings. It's like a choose your own adventure. Like I literally was a, a big article about this being a choose your own adventure. And at the end of the movie, there's one ending where um, Sharon Stone uh, is innocent. And actually it was uh, Beth. Gene Triplehorn's character who did all the murders and then it fades out at the end and then it fades back and that's uh, another ending where you see Sharon Stone with the ice pick and you go that's the ending where Sharon Stone was the murderer so there are two possible alternate endings to this contained in the actual release of the film okay yeah wrong it's wrong but thanks okay yeah no no worries Uh, not my words the words of um someone on the um the old internet So where we're getting to is uh, by this point, Michael Douglas hasn't slept with Sharon Stone yet. So we have this very, very fun, excellent nightclub scene where Michael Douglas goes to a nightclub in a jumper and he we watch Sharon Stone have a dance off kind of thing with a female lover and also with Michael Douglas. And she seems to choose the penis. So she goes home with Michael Douglas. They say what? I mean, it's worth pointing out that. Never has Michael Douglas looked less sexy than, yeah. than that moment he turns up in the nightclub. It reminded me as if you've gone to a nightclub and your dad has found out you're at a nightclub and you're not supposed to be, and he's turned up to look for you in just the clothes he was wearing at home. And <laughs> he's, he's walking through the nightclub, like sort of going, I know, I know, I know you're in here. I'm going to find you. And like, he's sort of like... He's got his keys in his in his hand still because the car's just outside. And he's going to grab you and take you out. That's what Michael Douglas looks like in that nightclub scene. Or when he you're looks going like a dad to a looking for his teenage daughter. When you're going out, but you've lied to your dad about where you're going, and he's giving you a lift, and you've got a big jumper on. But then when you get out of the car, <laughs> that jumper's coming, <laughs> and you've got your party frock on. Bye. <laughs> I, once, I once went to a nightclub with a dad. I thought in you were going to say in a jumper. I was like, of course you fucking have. <laughs> it gets cold in Yorkshire. <laughs> yeah, I was on a stag so do. Anyway. I was on a stag do and this lad brought his dad. Uh, the, guy, the guy was getting married. It was good fun. It was quite the novelty. He got a lot of attention when we were in the club. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. it's nice. Uh, um, so finally, Michael Douglas and Sharon Stone have sex with each other. Um, and she brings out a silk scarf and you're supposed to think, oh, she's going to ice pick him through the bollocks or whatever it is that she gets up to. But no, she doesn't. She just has sex with him. No one gets um, ice picked through the bollocks. I was going to no. say, you're imprinting on this movie. It's though, pretty clear. Right? When people are getting ice picked in the head, Vicky, probably <laughs> that's your takeaway. I know some some men's chins can look like testicles, so maybe no, you got true. it from there, but there's no, there's, no, there's no bollocks piercing with ice picks. That's a shame, isn't it? Um, and in the well, then Michael Douglas has a weird face-off with Roxy, the female lover, in the bathroom. Where he, there's still a line in the film which is extremely dodgy, where he's like, "Let's talk to each other man to man." It's like, "Shut up, Michael Douglas." Yeah, he and calls her, he calls her Rocky there as well, rather than Roxy. Yeah. So it's, yeah. I mean, that was one of the scenes that that um, I believe Queer Nation were upset with, and 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 of the course. use of the word dyke in the film as well, which I think yeah. might have been removed. That, but but. Yeah, that's yeah. still a really yeah, I, didn't, I didn't hear that word. No, yeah, I, I didn't hear that word. A really ugly, uh, homophobic scene. 
But then in the morning, this is one of my favourite scenes. He is absolutely thrilled with himself. <laughs> it's like, it was the fuck of the century. And she's like, really? Which I love. Like, she's obviously had a good time. But in order to sort of pierce his ego a bit, she's very sanguine about the whole thing, which I really, really liked. Like, he's, he looks so chuffed. <laughs> um, and she sort of skewers that pretty much straight away, which I like. I agree. I think I think that's great. They start analysing Nick, don't they? And I, li- I like, so someone says to Nick, do you recollect your childhood? And if so, are your recollections pleasing to you? Which is a <laughs> yeah. weird question, which he answers with, I don't look in the toilet before I flush it. I like that line. I thought that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't either, unless I think there might be something interesting in there. <laughs> a wedding ring. <laughs> what <do you> mean? <laughs> Leonardo... Uh, Leonardo da Vinci used to uh, draw pictures of his stools uh, every day. Did he? Did he? Yeah. Seems like a waste yeah, of time. Yeah, I think he was, he was <laughs> fascinated by the, the, the variety. Okay, very varied diet. Did you have. can learn a lot about your health from your stools. You can. You can. Uh, God, where were we? Anyway, um... So then Roxy tries to kill Michael Douglas and sort of accidentally kills herself a little bit. Um, and we get this side bar where I thought the film was saying that Catherine Trammell befriends people, well, not only befriends people that are murderers, but somehow like made them do it because Roxy has killed her uh, two brothers or two young kids. And she's got a friend called Hazel Dobkins who killed her family as well. And I didn't get what the film was saying at that point. Like, no, I think they performed those murders before she met them. Okay. No, Vicky's right. There is some sort of suggestion that Catherine Drummell was like, it's impossible with Hazel Dobkins because she's like, she didn't done the murders when she was a lot younger. But the film does seem to allude to this idea that like, and Roxy was a kid. Roxy was a kid when she killed her brothers. Yeah. Yeah. So um, at this point in the film, this is where we put, uh, the plot tries to put Beth and Catherine together. Um, so there's some stalking at college. Um, and I mean, who clear. didn't stalk someone at college, right? <laughs> That's not what you do at college. I know, I know. What what girls will get up to? Um, Demonising stalkers like, at college. It's like, come on. You know I mean, it's, it's fucking PC gone mad. I swear to God. Um, it's the first time you're living on your own. You're out of your parents' house. You're like, whoa, I didn't know that that was a rule. I can't do what? <laughs> Finally want to stalk someone. <laughs> um, and anyway, they slept together and it's not sure. We're not sure who's telling the truth about who is obsessed with the other. But the point is, this is all going on so that Michael Douglas will confront Beth in a hallway <laughs> when she's rooting around for her keys he thinks it's a gun and he just kills her, shoots her dead because he's shooter, don't forget, which is the worst nickname for someone who's trigger happy ever. Um, but do you know yeah, this, this is killed, based on someone he, uh, someone for real? Um, yeah, I did read that, that it's based on a, a police officer that Joe Esterhouse knew when he was a journalist, um, yeah. which is a bit terrifying. Yeah, he said, he said it. So the policeman, uh, when he worked in Cleveland as a reporter, he was a great guy, but he'd been involved with three fatal shootings, and I decided that he liked it. <laughs> um, and the Catherine Trammell character actually comes from someone who met as well. He says, I was with a girl I picked up at a go-go bar in Dayton. Uh, she was one of the dancers. We went to a hotel, and after what we'd done, um, what we went there to do, after we'd done what we went there to do, she pulled a twenty-two caliber revolver on me and asked if I had any real good reasons why she shouldn't pull the trigger. 
Um, okay. <laughs> he managed to talk his way out of it, but he thought it would be interesting to put that woman uh, in a story with that policeman. Yeah. <laughs> Bit of background. Hey, wait. St- pull the gun again and say that line again. I've got an idea. But no, put the gun away. Pull it again and threaten me with it again. Hang on a second. And, uh, yeah. Hang on a minute. Do you like ice picks by any chance? Um, so. Well, it was worth it, though. He got paid, what was it? Three million. This is, Three million. This is yeah. Scriptwriters yeah. got real money. Three million dollars for mm. this um, this movie, which is insane yeah. money. Having just Although, left his what... agent and being told he would never work again, he was like, "Yeah, I will." So not bothered. Oh yeah, that that open letter he sent uh, mm. that was um, that surfaced. Where um, did he send? Did he publish it or did it just emerge? He leaked I think it. he published it. It was leaked. He leaked yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's um, yeah. Although, what was it? Um, Oh my God! What's his name? Max Landis got paid something somewhere in the region of three million dollars by Netflix for his Bright script and maybe another script really? as well. Yeah, so it's you know it still happens, kids. <laughs> if you try hey. really hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so then we're sort of at the end, which uh, is a little bit confusing. Um, Michael Douglas and Sharon Stone are back in bed together where they belong and they're talking about living happily ever after and maybe having kids and all the rest of it. And her hands, she has this habit of when she has an orgasm, she sort of flings herself at him anyway. So there's a bit of that. Um, And then her hand keeps wavering around the bottom of the bed. Like, is she going to pull out an ice pick? And she doesn't. And that's kind of it. Um, No, I think what happens there is there. No, but what happens there is 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 uh he says we could have a couple of rug rats and she starts yeah. going for the knife to kill him because she doesn't want to have a friggin', you know, family two point four children life. And then she, she <coughs> questions it and he says, Oh actually I hate rug rats and then she no longer goes for the knife. So he's actually saved his own life by not wanting to settle down with her. She's she's gonna string <laughs> him on for a bit longer because it's more exciting. And then yeah, then we see the ice pick, you get the dramatic music. And yeah. we have our we have our solution to the story. Sort of, yeah. But if she had gone for the ice pick at that moment and killed him, I feel like she's gonna have the finger pointing at her again quite dramatically. A like, little bit, yeah. <laughs> little all the hard work she's gone to uh in that rather over complex plan would have been ruined by that one moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But also, by Joe Esterhouse's own admission, there is one glaring plot hole in the whole of this, which is it's 1992 and DNA testing was actually a really useful tool the police Mm. had and that is never mentioned once in the movie. And let's not forget, she doesn't wear underwear, so her DNA is fucking everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Did you know that? I mean, you probably didn't think this, but I did be like, I understand the power of it. You go, go, whatever, however, whatever, great. But also, I was like, mm, you just, you're very, it's, it's not just about being comfortable with yourself. It's about just being comfortable. <laughs> there's, there's nothing wrong with knickers. Yeah. yeah. Just swab that car seat, that bench. <laughs> swab any, any, anywhere she's, oh. just swab it. You're bound to pick up with some. You've got to. She's just left little, little smears around the plate. Ugh. Okay. Anyway. Oh, anyway. there we are. Anyway, anyway, I said it, so it's fine. Um, yeah. And I think that might be it um, for this film. <laughs> Has anybody got anything else they want to say? Well, I am done. Uh, I'm glad. I'm glad we ended uh, what what in my mind was a uh, pretty sexy movie when I first saw it, at least uh, with <laughs> smears. So I think we've undone 
any any latent sexiness that Basic Instinct might still hold. <laughs> I, I just think I like the, 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 the bit of it's not really trivia, but the behind the scenes stuff sounded like fun on this. And some of this is coming from Esther has, so you have to take it with a pinch of salt. But he said that Sharon Stone was Catherine Trammell because she was manipulating two married men while they were making it, which was her, which was him and Paul Verhoeven. She Paul Verhoeven wanted to sleep with her, and he and she refused unless he left his wife. And then Joe Esther has claimed that he slept with her while he was still married. Um, but what did happen, uh, and this is from The Guardian, Sharon Stone ran off with Joe Esterhaz's best friend, Bill McDonald, uh, during the making of this film. He, Bill McDonald duly deserted his wife, Naomi. As an act of friendship, Esterhaz and his wife, Jerry, took Naomi on holiday. And the screenwriter, Jess, Joe Esterhaz, fell in love with her and they got together and he's still married to her. Oh, really? Yeah. So it was oh, all wow. happening behind the scenes as well as in front of the camera on this one. Did Joe Esterhaus end up having sex with Sharon Stone? He claims to have. Yeah, he said they spent the night together. Uh, that was when she supposedly said to him, I wish you'd written this part for me when I was a bit younger. Mm. Um, but also, didn't didn't he say that she, he took it as her saying thank you? Yeah, he said. Yeah, yeah, he said. Well, he he's kind of goes along the lines of of leading ladies um, sleep with their directors just because it's part of the job, but never with the screenwriter. But because he'd become so successful, he he was getting the same kind of uh, he was having the same kind of sex that directors were in in that right. leading ladies would sleep with him. God Jesus, <laughs> it's, it's just so depressing. God Jesus, <laughs> I will say, and I'm not saying this just to be like. Um... I can't think of the right word. But the point is, um, the initial scenes with Sharon Stone, she's like, oh, um, what was the rock star called? Johnny, jo- what's he called? Something. Boz. 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 So she's like, oh, he liked to experiment and he gave me lots of pleasure and I like that. And it's like, okay, great. I understand what you're saying. And then when we finally get to her having sex with Michael Douglas, for the time to see something like that on screen was like very titillating. But the sex they're actually having, it's like, mm, it's not like the most experimental thing I've ever seen in my life. Like she pulls out a scarf and it's like, whoa, oh my God, a scarf. But there are... I, I, I was a little bit disappointed. As a grown-up watching it, I was oh, a little he, bit disappointed. The trapeze artist has spoken. I'm yeah, but and also, but but also, when you're when you're on that much um, uh, high-grade Colombian cocaine, pretty much anything I'm sure seems exciting and experimental and fun. I mean, they could have been watching the Antiques Roadshow and they'd have been like, "Oh yeah, this is great." <laughs> and I think I think the point in this film, isn't it? I mean, sex is unless you're watching porn. I think sex is for a reason. Sex is quite boring to watch, but here yeah. they're shooting it not to sort of. It's partly to titillate, but it's the, the sex scenes are shot like a thriller there's supposed to be tension in them and i think it does achieve that um yeah, especially the first time you're watching obviously when you're watching it again you know what's coming but when you don't know what's gonna happen it, it, they are quite tense affairs mm. yeah okay I've... Uh, michael douglas refused to go full frontal apparently he was asked by verhoven to do a full frontal in this he said uh, no no, I won't. There um, you go. That's your Hollywood power yeah. balance right there, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> just, just asks everyone if they'll get their genitals out. And some people have to say yes and some people get to say no. That's nice for them. Yeah. Well, I, and also, I imagine he was paid a little more than $500,000, yeah. which is the um, the sum that um, Sharon Stone got, which is uh, quite low considering how much this was budgeted. Yeah. Uh, is there any more or shall we do the bits? Do the bits. Do the bits. Do the bits. Oh, um, Alex, what was your best scene? I'm just getting my sheet of paper from where I've stored it behind my um, 
cuddly Pennywise doll. Um, <laughs> the best scene in this is, um, oh, yeah, the interrogation scene. Um, definitely. Yeah. It, it's a great scene. Forgetting the actual, like, oh, my God, although it is still a proper, oh, my God, moment 30 years later. I, I do still think it's, like, you know, it's for wrong or for right, it is an iconic Iconic scene, yeah. um, and like the way it gives her control and all the the ways of analysing it, it's a very, very, very good scene. Uh, I agree with you, uh, Chris. Yeah, like in the making of documentary, they claim there's some disagreement of, of over whether it's beaver or thigh you're seeing is how they put it. I've watched that scene what? a few times. It's definitely yeah. not thigh. It's definitely not it's thigh. Not a thigh. Uh, I'm going for that. As, as you say, Alex, obviously it's famous because of what you see, but it's also uh, famous because it's a brilliant scene. Uh, so, yeah, interrogation scene for all the reasons we've already said. Vicky? Yep, that's a, th- a third from me. Interrogation yeah. fanny, for sure. Um, <laughs> and then your MVW, uh, Alex. Um, so, we haven't mentioned him, but I'm um, I'm throwing in Gus. Here, uh, huh. Gus is Michael Douglas's cop partner, uh, <laughs> cowboy, um, who always calls him Hoss. Mm. He's like, hey, Hoss. Hey, come on, Hoss. You going to have a drink, Hoss? You haven't drunk in three months, Hoss. Do you know why I like him? I do have a genuine reason. Um, I think because this film is like treats reality as optional, despite <laughs> being set in like the real world. It's ridiculous and over the top. Um, he actually grounds the movie in some semblance of normality as a fairly normal guy. Mm. Um, he's quite a sympathetic character as well. I quite like that. The fact he goes to the country and Western bar in his Stetson and sits on his own drinking and getting <laughs> drunk alone. And it makes it sad when he dies. But I think the film would just, without him anchoring it slightly, it would just be so alien that you'd be like, this is, this is difficult to stomach as a, a thriller. Yeah. Uh, Chris, what do you think? Um, did you know Alex, who was who Paul, uh, who Joe Esther has wanted to play that role, the role of Gus? No, yeah, he said that there's a reason people don't let him cast movies because he, when he wrote it, he wanted Willie Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> Bizarre. Uh, it's I- weird, like because um, Paul Verhoeven wanted a big. Um, he made he like Joe Esterhaus left the project for a while because he, he gave his script and then Paul Verhoeven went, I want. Um, I want there to be a lesbian love scene in this. And Joe Esterhouse said it would be manipulative and unnecessary. And in the end, Paul Verhoeven went, actually, you know what, you're right. Uh, you know, I'm just being stupid. Um, and Joe Esterhouse uh, came back on board. But Paul Verhoeven um, had a lot of power um, in terms of sort of like, you know, taking the script and putting his own. As you'd imagine a director would, because Joe Esterhouse also says, all his sex scenes in the script start with, it was dark. You can't really see anything. <laughs> is not the movie Paul Verhoeven made. Uh, but I am going, it's a bit of a tie here. I, either um, Michael Douglas's plunging V-neck sweater in the club scene. <laughs> um, or the in that same scene, the way Roxy is dancing, which I think yeah. is amazing when she's having that dance off. It's like a it's precursor to, to Verhoeven and Joe Esther's next film, Showgirls. It's sure. just utterly bizarre the way she is dancing yeah. and couldn't be less sexy. So, yeah, that <laughs> that whole scene is a work of art. Yeah. 
Shit, that should have been my favourite scene. Bollocks. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I think I'm going to have to, yeah, I'm going to say MVW Sharon Stone. Just the thing mm. she has to say, the thing she has to do, she does it with a straight face. She is, a, you know, a femme fatale and I love her and she looks excellent and, um, yeah, uh, inspirational. I think it's and fair then, to say both I, these films, isn't it? Like, they're both brilliant blondes, amazing performances by both those actresses, and Douglas does them a really good job in support as well. Yeah, mm. I agree. Uh, what would you I, um, I, fa- I fancied Sharon Stone more. This is the age when I fancied like people I saw in movies. I fancied her more in Total Recall. Okay. Just saying. I, got, I really fancied her in Total Recall. She will be so relieved mm. to know that. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. What would you change, Alex? I love a woman in a. Uh, I love a woman who power dresses in a, in a trouser suit. That's Did probably you? why. Oh, I wouldn't have thought of that of you. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, um. Sorry. What was the question? Change. Yeah. Same every um, week. Same every week. <laughs> and I, I'm going. What What Chris says is his MVW. I'm picking as my change that fucking outfit Douglas wears to the club. <laughs> I mean, I know we are meant to like. Here's it's. You sort of part of you is like so. Douglas is kind of like this. He's a bit of a slime ball. Like the first thing he does when he goes around to her house is he watches her getting changed. You know, you catch sight of a woman getting changed. You don't then go, "Cool, I'm just going to take a few steps forward, get a better look at that." Oh, <laughs> she's totally naked. There's no shame. He's a sleaze ball, and he's not cool, and he's a bit grubby. And you know, he lies on his sofa, you know, drinking whiskey, watching. Halloween? No. Hellraiser. 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 Sorry, yeah. Hellraiser, yeah. Yeah, with the yeah, the big uh, fetus monster. Yeah. Um and uh but like there's a level where I still need to be able to respect him and I cannot respect him in that outfit. It's the fact that he's wearing it on the beach the following day as well. It's, that, it's <laughs> soaked in sweat. He was in a nightclub. That jumper is sweating. His MS far too low V neck is like knitwear. It's soaked in sweat. He's had to put it on the following day because he was do, staying yeah. at home. He's got to do the walk of shame in his jumper. Right. <laughs> I just, I can't, it's, it's too much. Although he is prettier in this movie than he is in um, Fatal Attraction. He's aged well. I think he's more attractive here. No, I disagree with you. I think he looks a bit knackered. It's only like five years, but he looks lovely in Fatal Attraction. Just like oh, really, really? Yeah, yeah, really sexy. Um, I met him at the uh, premiere for Ant-Man and... Uh, He's very, very cool. Yeah. You know when you you know that thing, like, and you don't get it with every actor, and whether it's because he's he reminds me of when I was watching, like, you know, him like romancing the stone and stuff. He's like been a staple of like my cinema watching for so long. So maybe it's me, or maybe it is the fact that he is just old Hollywood, and like there is this like aura around him. When I stood, stood next to him on the stage, and you just sort of were like fucking hell this is michael douglas and he's like all being all hollywood and you're like oh wow brilliant yeah um chris what would you change uh paul verhoven has literally said he doesn't understand what happens at the end so i would suggest (laughs) maybe doing something about that before you release the film (laughs) Um, that's a good point my change would be the Michael Douglas has been accused and found uh, not culpable for the killing of some tourists. So he's like, he's trigger happy as a shooter. Yeah. Um, And I would just have that sort of come forward a bit more. So when Michael Douglas's boss sets him on Catherine Trammell's trail, 
I think the boss should be saying, if Michael Douglas kind of unravels in all this because of Catherine Chamel and her sexiness, then at least he will get the confession he wants, which is that Michael Douglas shot those people on purpose because he's fucking quick to anger and he can't help himself. So it's like he's being set up by his boss at the same time as he's being ensnared by Sharon Stone. Interesting. But doesn't he kill those tourists because he's high on coke at the time because he's undercover? Oh, yeah, That's- yeah. But then he's got away with it, hasn't he? So, you you know, you, maybe you should be facing some justice for what you did. So his boss thinks he should face justice. And so he uses Catherine Trammell to get it. Interesting. Would you like a quiz? <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Why not? Yay! Um, okay, this week's quiz, before we do the verdict, um, is called Good Sex or Bad Sex? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I've selected What's bad a sex? handful. I've never, of... I've never heard of it. Never had it. What's bad sex? <laughs> um, I'll show you. <laughs> um, I um, I've selected various erotic thrillers. Um, I want you to guess their. It's very simple this week. Guess their score in percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Were they good sex? Were they bad sex? We don't know. You don't just have to guess whether they're good bad sex or bad sex, whether it's rotten or fresh. I I just want to know who gets closest to the actual percentage score okay. on each movie. So we'll start with one that you know. Uh, we just talked about it. Basic Instinct. <laughs> what do you think it got as a score? 92%. 92%? Okay, Chris? <laughs> I am going to go, I think I'm going to go a little bit lower than that. I'm going to go 60%. Mm. Okay, 92% versus 60%. The actual score on Ron Tomatoes is unfresh at 52%. No. This is a rotten movie. This is bad sex. Yeah, 52%. <laughs> Chris, well done. You got a point. All right, we'll do the other one we were just talking about. What percent do you think Fatal Attraction got? You go first this time, Chris. I'm going to go 89%. Uh, 89%. I'm going to go 68. 68%. Victoria's closer. It is 76%. It's good sex. <laughs> From 1993, a movie that Empire called an erotic thriller that is sharply unerotic. And mercifully short. <laughs> um, body of evidence: William oh. Defoe and Madonna. <laughs> oh no, that is bad. Um, I'm going to say twelve percent. Okay, twelve percent, Chris. Have you guys seen Body of Evidence? Yeah. Yeah. God, it's good. Uh, I'm going to go seven <laughs> percent. <laughs> Did you just say God? It's good. Seven percent. Right. Uh, it is 8%, Chris. Well done. Bad sex. Bad sex. Um, all right, moving uh, to 1986 now from our old friend Adrian Lyne. Mm-hmm. Him Basinger and Mickey Rourke in nine and a half weeks. Ooh. Chris, you go first. Oh, that is going to be, I would say, 40%. Uh, 63%. Victoria's right, sixty-one percent. It is good sex. Fucking good sex. That is an awful film. All right. From nineteen ninety-four, this one split uh, the reviewers. Um, 
the uh, Florida Sentinel said it sourced because of the sizzling chemistry of Douglas and Moore. And the Chicago Tribune said, pure and simple trash. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> it's a uh, disclosure. Good sex or bad sex? I fucking love that. <laughs> you what? Uh, <laughs> uh, do you love it? Yeah, I do. <laughs> it's just bonkers. Um, poor Michael Douglas cannot catch a break. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am going to say, oh, I bet it didn't do very uh, 57. 57%, Chris? Uh, I'm going to go 58. <laughs> you wanker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Raising eyebrows now. We can't see you, but it is 58% on the nose. Really? Bad sex. <laughs> Bad sex. Um, if either of you are cheating, then you will know. And ultimately, it will come out eventually. And then we'll all know. And that will be upsetting. Mm-hmm. 1998 is where we're visiting next. Variety said, sly, torrid, and original. And... Um, uh, Common Sense Media said, convoluted erotic thriller, not for kids. <laughs> We're doing wild things. Good sex or bad sex? <laughs> what percentage? Who's for me, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Wild things. Yep. I'm going to go 75%. Uh, uh, 84. It is... 63%. Oh. That's one for you, Chris. Uh, good sex, though. People liked Wild Things, 70, uh, 63%. Uh, two more to go, and then we'll call it a day. Uh, Bruce Willis and Jay March, I mentioned it earlier. Uh, the Radio Times said, so awful it can't be missed. Colour of night. Mm-hmm. Uh, 11%. Bad, uh, 11%, Chris. I'm going to go lower. I'm going to go 5%. <laughs> It's 22% Victoria. Yeah. This is so crap. Before we go go into the last one, you are both on three. So whoever gets this wins. Our final movie um, is from 1993, and it is Sliver. Um, Another Joe House script, Sharon Stone. Um. The film, filmcritic.com said director Philip Noyce's camera will leer at anything that clenches and unclenches with a steady rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> so gross. Makes me think of body horror. But what percentage did it get on Rotten Tomatoes? Oh, Victoria, are you going uh, first this time? Sorry, I was miles away. Uh, tw- uh, 23%. I'm going to Chris- go 15%. The correct answer is 11%. Chris knows more about bad sex and good sex and sex in general. Well done, Christopher. Sexy. (laughs) Sex. Sex. Right, let's get on with this. Here's the verdict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers. I want the truth. So, who's going first? Um, I'm going to ask you to go first. Victoria. Uh, I, I'm going to be, uh, these, it was really fun to compare these two because there's so much in common. Basic Instinct is a shitload more fun, but Fatal Attraction, because of what it tried to do, and it just seems like more, this is not technical, but more of a proper film. <laughs> so I'm going to pick Fatal Attraction. 
<laughs> okay, it's not technical, but it is honest. Chris. <laughs> yeah, I think they're both they're both movies without without an ounce of fat on them and they I love the way they manipulate me. The pair of them do a really good job of that. And basically Steak is big, bombastic, glossy, fun. But as Vicky says, Fatal Attraction is actually about something. I think it kicked off interesting conversations. I was too young to watch it at the time, but I remember it being on the news. And I don't know, maybe it encouraged adulterers to practice safe sex. Is that is that a good thing? Probably a good thing. So um, this is a direct <laughs> quote. Yeah. This is a direct <laughs> quote from Paul Verhoeven regards Basic Instinct. He said, it's a nonsense movie with an idiotic premise. Um, <laughs> and so as it makes sense, I'm going for Fatal Attraction. Okay. Uh, we have a winner then. Fatal Attraction is the victor this week. Uh, for the record, uh, despite the protestations of my teenage self somewhere through the mists of time screaming at me, I am too going for Fatal Attraction. Like I said, it uh, actually like was a great movie uh, to watch as an adult that I hadn't seen before and had an effect on me. Yeah, I loved it. Fatal Attraction is three for three this week. An outright winner in the first week for three weeks that the movie Chris voted for has won. How are you feeling? Uh, well, each week I was on the right side of history, mate, so I'm fine. Ah, well, okay. Well, you know, it's nice that it's nice over here. What do you think, V? Are you enjoying being on the right side of history? The right side of history is strong words. But yeah, yeah, always. All right. Whose choices is it next week? It is my choices. And Chris, I what are we doing? am going for... Uh, Alex, you have The Thing. Now, this is the 1982 version of The Thing. Uh, Netflix is currently claiming the 2011 version is The Thing, but we're ignoring that. So it's the 1982 version, uh, which is on Amazon and Sky. Uh, I think you have to pay for it, though. And Vicky, I am giving you Hateful Eight. Okay. That is your movie. Oh, and, and again, that's one that you have to pick six up on hours. Prime. <laughs> Bloody hell. <laughs> Well, you've got nothing else to do. I tell you, every week, I am so... <laughs> I have never been more busy. I'm doing everything I always do in one room. <laughs> but anyway. All right. And that is your lot. If you want to hit us up on uh, Twitter, we are at ClashPod. Uh, please do get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. And also, please do um, subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back in a week doing The Hateful Eight and The Thing. Bye for now. This was a Stakhanov production. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.